Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The Black Death began in the spring of 346 CE near the Caspian Sea. By 348, it was ravaging all of Europe. Estimates regarding how many people died from this massive apocalyptic outbreak of the bubonic plague between 1346 and 1352 when the overwhelming majority of the deaths occurred very wildly. The most accepted conservative death toll seems to be around 25 million people. Other sources claim that around 75 million people died in Western Europe alone in just over five years, or that the outbreak killed roughly a third of the entire world's population, dropping it from an estimated 450 million down to around 350 million, uh, or that within two years of the disease making it to Europe, it had already wiped out 30 to 60% of the continent's population. Regardless of the true body count, which we will never conclusively know due to lack of historical accounts, a lot of people couldn't read or write in the mid-14th century, Those who could were generally more worried about staying alive than they were about chronicling the constant death. We do know for sure that the Black Death was and still is the world's most disastrous disease outbreak. It's known as the greatest catastrophe ever, having taken more lives than any other natural disaster or disease pandemic. Henry Knighton, the Abbey of the Catholic Church of St. Mary of the Meadows in Leicester, England, wrote about the devastation he saw firsthand in 1348. Here's a few excerpts of what he witnessed. There died in Leicester in the small parish of St. Leonard more than 380 persons. In the parish of Holy Cross, 400. In the parish of St. Margaret's, Leicester, 700. And so in every parish, a great multitude. The Pope granted full remission of all sins to anyone receiving absolution when in danger of death and granted that this power should last until Easter next following and that everyone might choose whatever confessor he pleased. In the same year, there was a great murmuring of sheep everywhere in kingdom, so that in one place, in a single pasture, more than 5,000 sheep died, and they putrefied so that neither bird nor beast would touch them. Everything was low in price because of the fear of death, 
for very few people took any care of riches or property of any kind. The Scots, hearing of the dreadful plague amongst the English, suspected that it had come about through the vengeance of God, and according to common report, they were accustomed to swear, be the foul death of England. Believing that the wrath of God had befallen the English, they assembled in Selkirk Forest with the intention of invading the kingdom. When the fierce mortality overtook them, and in a short time about 5,000 perished. As the rest, the strong and the feeble, were preparing to return to their own country, they were followed and attacked by the English, who slew countless numbers of them. After the pestilence, many buildings, great and small, fell into ruins in every city, borough, and village for lack of inhabitants. Likewise, many villages and hamlets became desolate, not a house being left in them, all having died who dwelt there. And it was probable that many such villages would never be inhabited. Death! So much death! And the mayhem that follows, the anarchy that follows so much death, the breakdown of society, the emergence of bouts of lawlessness, the literal stench of decay blanketed the air of Europe during the Black Death. The plague wiped out up to 90% of the inhabitants of some villages, 90%, actually in a few, even higher than that. And it did so quickly. And none of these poor bastards had a clue what was killing them, which just added to the horror. They had no idea how to stop it. In many areas, with local leaders dead and scared villagers looking for someone to blame for the madness that was destroying everything around them, persecutions began to break out. Scared, sick, suffering people tend to want someone to blame. Entire communities of Jewish, Romani, and other various ethnicities, but honestly, mostly Jewish, were murdered. Religious fanaticism was running rampant. Desperate doctors devised new ways to torture parents and futile attempts to stop the chaos. We dive deep into the dark ages today and man, oh man, how dark these ages were as we tackle the bubonic plague in a riddled with rats, fleas, and disease pandemic medieval edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Hello, time suckers. Hail Nimrod. Hail that strange space Sasquatch chubacabra hybrid riding that sweet black unicorn throughout the universe. Hating willful ignorance wherever he sees it. Hail Lucifina, goddess of mischief and mayhem. That sexy vixen who, who maybe is the goddess of love as well. Praise Bojangles. Good boy. Good boy, Bojangles. Uh, welcome or welcome back to the Cults and Curious where it's okay to get weird. Have some fun while learning something new, even if that something is, is real, real, real dark. Uh, recording in Suck Dungeon and CDA today, we got uh, Joe motherfucking Paisley, the Reverend Doctor. He's here. Queen of the Suck, Lindsay, she's here. Uh, loving all things Coeur d'Alene right now. I, I have a great local barber here in Coeur d'Alene, Michael at Ma- Maverick. Maverick Hair down in the Old Elks building, 5th and Lakeside, inside the CDA uh, collective area uh, near CDA Coffee, where I also like to grab a keto bomb from time to time. Um, so if you need a, if you're a dude needing a haircut around Coeur d'Alene, he's a good guy to go to. Uh, just a good, like, you know, uh, like family business. He's, he's starting get some new sweet ink. Uh, if you want from Caleb at call of the wild, that's what I just did. I'm like getting more stuff done on, on the arm. Um, I just like talking to him. Cool dude. Uh, call of the wild just near Costco off government found a cool new Japanese restaurant that shows, uh, throw some Hawaiian dishes on the menu. Rocco's next to Starbucks by the movie theater, in the Riverstone complex. Cool places. Ah, Try to cram so much in. Cool places. Cool people. Slow down, Cummins. Breathe. Focus. I'd uh, love to pass that info along. Uh, Time Suck is brought to you again today by Broem Podcasts. All right, the Broem Podcast. Uh, a couple Time Suckers, a couple Space Lizards running this show. 
So that's cool. Brome is a show about uh, how it's okay to be a dude, but how about how all dudes should be better dudes. Each week on Brome, Joe and Ben pick a topic they think dudes could use a little help with. And based on what I've heard so far, the info is fantastic. And, uh, and it's for ladies also. It's for everyone. Uh, how to enjoy art, how to talk to women, how to build wealth. These are the topics so far. Uh, they have been excellently done. New topic out today. Solid advice from two good dudes. Here's a recent iTunes review. Tried out Broham at the suggestion of the master sucker. So glad I did. I'm not a dude, but I am the cool mom of a 13 and 15-year-old or of 13 and 15-year-old bros. They love it, and I am taking away so many good nuggets. Thank you for what you were doing. Keep it up. So give it a shot. Tune in each week for new topics, new discussions, new ways to continue seeking enlightenment through deadlifts. Broham it up. Uh, go to go to uh, com for more info. Link in the episode description. Uh, or you can push a button on the TimeSuck web or the TimeSuck app. So there's that. Uh, TimeSuck is also brought to you by the bestlightcollection.com, another TimeSuck company. Hail Nimrod. Uh, Russell Grace and Angela Coleman traveled to Great USA with Fonzie the Pug, their very own little Bojangles, in a windowless cargo van like a couple of creeps. But they're not creeps. <laughs> they're kick-ass meat sacks, talented photographers uh, who, who uh, photograph America in the best possible light. Uh, they use infrared photography to capture stunning landscapes, unique architecture, historic sites, cemeteries, memorials, storms, and more all made extra surreal and unique and beautiful with their infrared treatment. Their images are just hypnotic, dark and mysterious. I love them. Uh, My favorite is Lark's Storm, once-in-a-lifetime shot. Bolt of lightning hitting the center of a road, like are appearing to just way out in the distance. Uh, It's this most ominous storm cloud. It's just, you know, right above it. Um, You know, nobody around. uh, And just just fields of like, looks like wheat or something. Maybe a little tiny farm town way out in the distance. Looks like it could be like the cover of a Stephen King novel. Uh, head to Best Collection. Excuse me. Head to. Don't don't head to Best Collection. Head to BestLightCollection.com. BestLightCollection.com. Stunning photos. Time Suckers get 10% off orders, half shipping if they mention Time Suck via uh, the site or on the site. And if you visit Russell or Angela on their travels, you get a free Time Suck-related gift with your purchase. They'll be at the Coconut Grove Art Festival February 16th through the 18th, Naples National Art Festival February 23rd through 24th, many other places around the nation. So find the van, meet Russell and Angela, pet Fonzie, go to bestlightcollection.com, get your 10% discount, half-off shipping. Link in the episode description. Hail Nimrod and happy birthday, Russell. Angela told me it's your birthday today. And she loves the kind, generous, smart, talented, creative, and well-hung adventure you are. I added the well-hung. You get that big dick. You get that uh, big dick energy about you. I wanted to throw that in there. Okay. Hey, do you like? Uh, do you guys like Valentine's Day pins? Uh, we have some Axis Design pins uh, coming up in the store. Danger Brain, not going anywhere. Just diversifying out the look. We have a Triple M set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna be there. By the way, on that, rest in peace, James Ingram. He just passed away this past week. 14 Grammy nominations, two-time winner. Uh, guy who was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I believe nominated for some Golden Globes. Uh, passed away. Don't don't know how why he died. Um, but, man, fantastic dude. Fantastic character in the suck. Uh, but we do have the yeah, Triple M set. A Richard Knight stalker Ramirez heart on his hand instead of that pen, pentagram kind of infamous photo. A serial killer love set. And we have a, a Lindsay and I set. Uh, the queen of the sucks face and my uh, arguably less attractive face on a set of lover's pins. 
And all pins are made out of 100% monatomic gold, 100% moon matrix quartz receptors, and 100% meat sack love particles. Uh, you get a handful of Chicken Joe condoms when you buy a set of pins. I shit you not. Bok, bok, playboy. Bok, bok. Respect your lean, mean wing. Wrap it up and keep it clean. A little one should be a magic testament, not a tragic accident. So put on a raincoat on that pecker so sex of time ain't no life wrecker. You feel me? That's Chicken Joe speak for have responsible sex. Use protection. And you get a handful of cherry-flavored uh, heart-shaped custom time suck suckers. Say keep on sucking. Uh, these go on sale on the 7th. Limited quantities of each design. You can order by February 10th if you want them in time for Valentine's Day. At least check them out. They're really cool to look at. Uh, thanks for letting us make so much cool, silly shit. And thank you for the continued reviews and ratings everywhere you listen. Ed Kemper became our first episode to, to get listened uh, more than 100,000 times in the first week of release. That's huge. Well over 100,000 suckers now and over 4,000 space lizards. It's been incredible. We're going to keep it going. Grind, grind, grind. Do more good stuff. Hail Nimrod. Uh, excited to get back to the Happy Murder Tour this week in Wisconsin. Saturday early show sold out. Tickets still available for uh, uh, some of the other shows. Uh, so get to that. Pumped for the first live time suck of 2019. Uh, early Saturday in Madison. That show's filling up. Tickets available for the Ant Hill Kids. Canadian Tale of Fire and Brimstone. Cult Leadery. Uh, bringing the Happy Murder Tour to Philly the following week. And then both the live podcast and stand up to downtown Salt Lake City soon after. Uh, some shows already selling out in Salt Lake, which is fantastic. Then Zanies in Nashville. Also the Atlanta Punchline Show, February 27th. Almost sold out. If you're thinking about going to that one, please get your tickets now. Uh, not many left, and it's just I'm just going to be there one night. Check out DanCummins.tv for a, a full year of tour dates. More live Ant Hill Kids sucks coming up uh, in, in a few other cities. But now, back to a subject that has caused more death and pain than any crazy Canadian cult leader. Back to the Black Death. All right, before we get into the story uh, of the bubonic plague outbreaks and explore the chaos and widespread panic and horror that was life in Europe from 1347 to 1351, 52, uh, let's figure out how how lethal the plague was now it killed. And these dates, by the way, they shift a little bit. 47 is really when it got going. 51 is really when it kind of started to fizzle out. But uh, sometimes I might say 1346, that's when it technically got there. Sometimes I might say 1352 because it was still a little bit going in 1352. So that's why there'll be a little bit of discrepancy or some discrepancies with the dates. Uh, what is the plague? The plague has been described by a lot of doctors as a really good time and something you'd be lucky to experience. Uh, plague actually means fun stuff in Latin. Symptoms of the plague include feeling at the top of your game, euphoria, uh, pseudo-immortality, extra sound sleep, constant sense of hope and gratitude. Uh, victims also report that their muscles feel satisfied and very relaxed as if being continuously massaged by cherubs or angels or small yet powerful women, probably from Thailand or South Korea, probably not from Poland. The skin of plague victims often takes on a healthy angelic glow called plague glow. Uh, The feces of plague victims typically begin to smell like actual roses and become both edible and delicious and nutritious uh, within 24 hours of infection. That's when people know that they definitely uh, have plague, when they can eat their own healthy, low-carb, rosy-smelling, delicious poo, full of immune system-strengthening probiotics and vitamins. One serving of plague poo estimated to have 10,000 times the daily recommended dosage of vitamin E. Some scientists still think it can cure blindness and foster certain uh, levitation abilities at the right doses. And, of course, that's not true. Don't eat plague poo. Eating plague poo is a very good way to get plague. Uh, Plague is an infectious disease that affects rodents, humans, various other animals, 
including those poor medieval sheep we, we heard about from that 14th century priest. It comes from the Yersinia pestis bacteria, a little rod-shaped uh, cocobacillus, cocobacillus, and it loves fleas, especially rat fleas. Uh, fleas are totally its BFFs. Like, like if young tween Yersinia pestis could adorn their little rooms, their little bacteria rooms with posters, they'd have almost nothing but sexy ass, you know, flea posters. Uh, there are more than 2,000 types of flea, but it's primarily a flea known as the oriental rat flea that is attributed to the plague bacteria. As its name suggests, this flea mostly feeds on rodents, but it can also bite humans and household pets. Despite its name, uh, it doesn't care if you're Asian or not. And despite its name, it wasn't named by a, uh, an older, casually, and possibly unintentionally racist white man who still thinks it's okay to refer to Asian people as oriental. Uh, the flea can grow up to two and a half millimeters in length, and though adult fleas do not have wings, they are able to jump up to 200 times the length of their bodies. The fleas are uh, brown in color, and, and the reproductive organs are visible in its abdomen. When the bacteria is ingested by the uh, flea, the foregut of this little flea is blocked by a biofilm uh, that prevents the, 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 the blood that the flea host is feeding itself on from making it all the way through the flea's digestive process. So the flea begins to starve despite uh, you know, eating all the time. And then the hungrier the flea gets, the harder it bites its host. The harder it bites, the harder it regurgitates the plague bacteria into the open wound on the host it's feeding from, causing infection. Now the bacteria is in the animal, probably a rat, living in this bloodstream, multiplying rapidly and starting to kill the host. Usually, usually some hosts can live. Some hosts uh, have immune systems that for whatever reason um, are, you know, pretty good at, at, at not allow, allowing this plague bacteria to kill it. And then if the new host acquires, uh, n- you know, new uninfected fleas, these new fleas drink its blood and infect themselves with some of the new bacteria, uh, now jump to more animals infecting them, which in turn infects more fleas, which then infects more animals and so on and so on and so on. Uh, crazy how this organism lives as a parasite and primarily uh, furthers infection by infecting other types of parasites. Nasty little double parasite situation. Uh, this bacteria is extremely frail. And doesn't do well if it gets kicked out of this cycle. It tends not to live very long if it's not inside a flea or in another organism's blood or tissue. When exposed to daylight, it dies quickly. It loves blood and darkness. How, how fitting for the organism behind the Black Death to love blood and darkness. I, I did wonder reading about its life cycle, like where does this bacteria come from? Right? It can't always and only exist in a never-ending series of hosts, can it? Like where does it live when it's not inside another organism of some sort? Uh, there appears to be a lot of scientific debate about just this. For a while, many microbiologists did seem to think that, disease, that the disease lived indefinitely in so-called enzootic maintenance cycles, uh, enzootic, that would cause little, you know, obvious host mortality and involve transmission between partially resistant rodents. Basically, some animals wouldn't die from it, but would continue to carry it around in their bloodstream until they found other animals uh, to infect. However, in North America, plague causes uh, die-offs of entire colonies of prairie dogs, for example, and then the disease will pop up again later in the same spot. Like, like how can that happen if it doesn't, uh, if it can't live outside a host? If it kills all of its hosts in the area and can't live outside of an organism, how does it pop up again? Um, well, uh, something it can hide and in, 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 uh, in, in lay dormant like a, like a sleeping monster or a mummy's curse until a new host or victims comes along. Uh, a 2008 scientific study confirmed that the Yersinia pestis remains viable and virulent after at least 40 weeks spent in sterilized, humidified sand. 
So it looks like it can live in some dirt, which is scary. There's this tiny little microscopic organism just laying in some dirt somewhere, laying in the desert somewhere, just waiting to pop up and just wreak fucking havoc, waiting to kick off another pandemic of death and disease. You know, a little flea or rat comes along and this thing, this little, little vampire wakes up, hops on or into a new creature, kicks off a whole new cycle of painful death. You're a real dick, Yersinia Pestis, real douchebag of an organism. I hope you know that no one likes you. Uh, humans, just like other animals, usually acquire the plague when they're bitten by a flea that's infected with plague bacteria. However, we meat sacks can also become infected from direct contact with the infected tissues or fluids from another animal sick with a plague or one that has recently died from the plague. People can also become infected from inhaling respiratory droplets after close contact with other animals via pneumonic plague. And we'll find out real soon. That's the worst fucking way to get it. That's the one that's the most uh, lethal is that form of the plague, that pneumonic plague. Basically, someone with the plague bleeds, coughs, or sneezes on you. Good chance those little Yersinia pestis motherfuckers going to get into your system. And if they get in your system, the odds of your body fighting out the disease, real low. Real low unless you get antibiotics. Almost everyone who got pneumonic plague would die, for example. The mortality rate for the untreated form of, of, of the bacteria, uh, the pneumonic form, nearly 100%. Uh, there are three forms of the plague, all originating from the same bacteria, three different versions of the same horrible disease, differentiating themselves by expressing different symptoms and attacking and infecting different body systems. Um, there's bubonic plague, the name most closely associated with historical pandemics with the Black Death. Uh, victims of bubonic plague experience a sudden onset of fever, headache, chills, weakness, and one or more swollen, tender, and painful lymph nodes called uh, bubos or plague boils. This form is usually the result of an infected flea bite. And you know, your lymph nodes are less, that's kind of like uh, your little primary defenders in your immune system. They're like uh, an important part of the immune system. So these, uh, the, the bacteria will attack these lymph nodes, cause them to swell. And that's what gives people these, these crazy lumps all over their body. Uh, the bacteria multiplying the lymph node uh, closest to where the bacteria entered the human body. If the patient is not treated with appropriate antibiotics, you know, none of which existed in the 14th century, obviously, the bacteria then can spread to other parts of the body, attack other lymph nodes. Uh, make it to the lungs, make it to other organs, and just do all kinds of bad things. There's also a septicemic plague, and this is when patients, and this is basically when the plague is just taking over your whole body. Uh, patients develop uh, fever, chills, extreme weakness, abdominal pain, shock, possibly bleeding into the skin and other organs. Skin and other tissues may turn black and die, especially on the fingers, toes, and the nose. That was a, a, a symptom of the plague. These people would get like these, their fingers would start to rot, basically turn black before they would die. Sounds terrible. Septicemic plague can occur as the first symptoms of plague or can develop from untreated bubonic or pneumonic plague. And this results from the bites of infected fleas, handling an infected animal, including people, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then there's pneumonic plague where patients develop fever, headache, weakness, and a rapidly developing pneumonia with shortness of breath, chest pain, cough, sometimes bloody or watery mucus. Pneumonic plague may develop from inhaling infectious droplets or from untreated bubonic or septicemic plague that spreads to the lungs. The pneumonia may cause respiratory failure and shock. Pneumonic plague is the most contagious form of the disease, the only form of the plague that can spread from person to person by infectious droplets, like through the air. So that's how the plague spreads. And that's how it harms you. And in pre-antibiotic days, you know, it killed uh, anywhere from 50% to damn near 100% of those infected, depending on the form there. Best case, you have a, you have a coin uh, toss chance of living if this thing gets you, and it, it would kill you quick. Uh, when these poor peasants caught this nightmare, they usually became ill, started to exhibit symptoms two to six days after being infected. Unless they caught pneumonic plague, some exposed, uh, you know, through the air would get sick and die in the first 24 hours. It's crazy. 
Uh, you could die in the first day. People, uh, you know, would begin to exhibit symptoms after dinner and be dead by breakfast. The mortality rate for the pneumonic plague, uh, yeah, still hovers close to 100% if not treated. Someone sneezes some plague on you, you know, you were basically as good as dead back in the uh, Black Death days. Can you imagine if a disease like that started to spread today? The panic that would set in? I mean, really think, let your mind go there for a second. Like, what, what if condoms didn't help prevent HIV, and if you caught it, you would be dead within a day. Like your dick would turn black and fall off if you're a guy and you'd be fucking dead in a day. Like that's basically the equivalent. I guess maybe even a better comparison. Uh, what if a, a new hyper aggressive and lethal just common cold? Just a common cold, but this common cold kills you in a day. Uh, one fucker sneezes on you and you're dead, you know, by the next day. That, that's a tragedy just beyond the scope of anything I think any of us can comprehend today. Uh, so where did this disease come from? Genetic research has shown that this microbe evolved in around, in or around, excuse me, China more than 2,600 years ago, followed humans around the globe. Uh, Eastern Mongol invaders are thought to have brought the plague that led to the Black Death with them to the now infamous siege of Kaffa in 1346. Infected corpses were literally catapulted over the city walls in the siege. We're going to talk about this in great detail in a little bit. A barbaric early form of biological warfare. Uh, and that would lead to the greatest disaster Europe had ever seen. And this disaster will kick off uh, today's Time Suck timeline, which we will dive into right after a word from one of today's sponsors. Uh, today's Time Suck is brought to you by Ed Kemper's Pet Head Kebabs. Hi, I'm, I'm Ed Kemper, the man behind Kemper's Pet Sickles. And today I'd like to talk to you about uh, Pet Head Kebabs. My Pet Head Kebabs are basically pet sickles that are not frozen. Cat heads, dog heads, any kind of head that gets your zapples going and makes mother so mad. In honor of this plague episode, we're running a sale on rat head kebabs that are great for kids. Some kids are too small to hold a giant dog head on a stick, and I get that. Mother would not get that, which is why she gets what she gets, the head on a stick. So, enjoy half off a whole rat's head, cut off and stuck on a stick by me, Ed Kemper. Eat it or shove it in your mother or father's ass if you want to. <laughs> uh, that's not today's sponsor. That's a nightmare. No. Uh, time Suck is brought to you by, by the new Parcast Network podcast, Extra Terrestrial. What a, great, what a great name. One word and you know what you're getting. Uh, are we alone? Do aliens really exist? The existence of extraterrestrial life has captured our collective imagination for generations. Those who claim to have had encounters believe what they saw. But what does the evidence show? Each week, the Parcast Network's new podcast, Extraterrestrial, examines these stories with a critical eye, analyzing possible scientific explanations to determine what really may have happened. The Pentagon spent over $100 million researching UFOs and have nothing to show for it. Or do they? Some say they're hiding something from us. Extraterrestrial will dig deep into the evidence to determine the truth. If you liked my Area 51 or Alien Extravaganza or Men in Black Time Slick episodes, this is perfect for you to check out. New episodes of Extraterrestrial come out every Tuesday. Look for upcoming episodes spotlighting reptilian humanoids, huh? space lizards, and the 1977 UFO invasion in Fort Benning, Georgia. Exciting. Just search and subscribe to Extraterrestrial wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that's E-X-T-R-A-T-E-R-R-E-S-T-R-I-A-L. Extraterrestrial. Visit parcast.com slash extraterrestrial to start listening now. Link in the episode description. Time now for reels. 
with the Time Suck Timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck Timeline. Thirteen forty-six, the siege of Kaffa. This is where today's time slip begins. Even though the Black Death was likely not the first outbreak of the plague bacteria to hit Europe, we'll discuss other historical outbreaks briefly after today's timeline. The little city of Kaffa is uh, known presently as Fedosia, uh, Feo, Feodosia, a port and resort town of about seventy thousand people on the uh, Crimea Peninsula on the Black Sea. It's across the Black Sea to the north from present-day Turkey. It sits in an area that has long been under dispute when it comes to who rules it. Even now, the peninsula is torn between Russia and the Ukraine after Russia annexed it in 2014 with, the, with an annexation that has been disputed by many, disputed by many to this day. Back in the mid-14th century, the area was ruled by the Mongols, kind of. The, Mongols, the Mongol Empire had fractured in the mid-13th century, and this area was ruled by one of the Khanates, the Golden Horde. This Khanate uh, was ruled by the... Uh, the the Tatars, uh, allies of the Mongols who originated in present-day Russia, essentially it was still culturally Mongol. It's complicated and it's not necessary to dive into today. I don't want our, our history buffs to wig out when I say Mongol in place of uh, Tatar, but that's what's going to happen. Um, uh, if you actually dig into it, the, um, the term Mongol is usually used. Yeah, I know, I know. But the term still works here, and I like the word Mongol more than I like the word Tatar. I don't like saying it. Tatar. Are you Tatar? Are you, do, you like, do you like Tatars? Sounds weird. The Mongols, sorry if you're a Tatar. Uh, the Mongols in the late 13th century had, had allowed a group of Italian traders from the Republic of Genoa to establish a trading settlement at Kaffa. And it became very successful. Everyone made a lot of money, uh, except the slaves uh, that were traded out of this port. They, of course, made zero money and treated horribly. Uh, always terrible to be a slave. Uh, Kaffa virtually monopolized trade uh, in the Black Sea region. It became a major seaport, housing one of Europe's largest slave markets. The Mongols benefited immensely from the Genoese businesses in the bustling city as it earned them access to Italy's largest commercial center, stimulated trade across its vast empire, an empire that put it in contact with that damn plague bacteria. The plague may have originated in the Gobi Desert of the Far East. It covers parts of northern and northwestern China, uh, some of southern Mongolia, a land ruled by the Mongols. Uh, local nomads had known for centuries to avoid the rats of this area. There's a chance that the disease evolved into being uh, in this area and had been killing the occasional nomad for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Mongol trade routes may have brought the bacteria east from this desert to the shores of the Black Sea. Uh, many of the Mongols in, this, uh, in the area had been practicing Muslims from the 1200s on, and the Genoese merchants were Christians. And occasionally, religious differences led to conflicts. One of these conflicts would lead to the Black Plague uh, European outbreak. Uh, shocking, right? Wait, wait a minute. That's, that's so weird. That's so weird that one people... Uh, who believed that their God should be called this name would fight and kill other people who believe that their God should be called that name. Fucking crazy. Uh, I'd be curious to see how many people have died fighting in battles that were primarily religious conflicts over the entirety of the world's history. I bet over a billion. And that's not a shot at religion. Uh, if we didn't have religion to fight over, I'm, I'm positive we would find uh, or would have found historically some other reason to kill each other. Meat sacks. We can be such a short-sighted, greedy, bloodthirsty bunch. Uh, in 1343... There was a fight between Genoese Christians and local Muslims in another Genoese outpost on the Black Sea present, uh, in present-day uh, Azov, Russia, and a local Muslim ended up dead, and some Genoese Christians were blamed. And they didn't feel like sticking around to see how a trial would play out, so they fled the walled, or they fled to the walled city of Kaffa, where they were granted protection, given asylum there. So Mongol soldiers, uh, they followed the Genoese to Kaffa, demanded the city hand over these culprits. 
Shocked when Kaffa refused to open the city gates and let them in or hand over the men in question. Infuriated, the Khan of the Golden Horde, Johnny Begg, uh, chose to attack. And uh, in 1343, the Mongols laid siege to the city of Kaffa. Kaffa didn't turn out to be the easy victory they were hoping for. Uh, Kaffa fought back in a stunning fashion. Even though they were just a small port city surrounded by Mongol territory, they had access to the sea and to powerful friends that quickly sent supplies and military reinforcements over from Italy. The first siege ended after the Mongols retreated, suffering about 15,000 deaths and heavy damage to their siege equipment. Uh, they, le- they left the battle, but they weren't done with the Christians. Two years later, in 1345, uh, Johnny Begg returned, bearing more than just siege machinery. Uh, I have no idea. His name is J-A-N-I-B-E-G, and I couldn't find a pronunciation guide for, for Johnny Begg. <laughs> sounds so weird. Or Janie, Janie Begg. It sounds like uh, a weird, like— Butt rock lead singer. I'm Janie Big, and welcome to uh, uh, I don't fucking know the pumpkin smashing, whatever. Sounds like some cross between like Cinderella and Warrant. Anyway, uh, this time he unknowingly brought the Black Death, which had been ravaging portions of Central Asia on and off since 1331. So while the Mongols laid siege to the city of Kaffa again, their ranks were now being struck by a mysterious illness. According to an account of the events of Crimea, uh, the the uh, Tatars suddenly found themselves falling on all sides as though they'd been struck by thunder with lumps on their joints, dark marks on their face. Uh, they developed a putrid fever, began to quickly perish. Despite heavy losses to the disease, they fought bravely on into 1346, but constantly being killed by an enemy they couldn't see. They just couldn't conquer Kaffa. Uh, and so then they did something outlandish. They decided to use the disease that was destroying them as a weapon. They decided if they couldn't beat the Genoese... They would at least share the torment they experienced. So sometime in late 1346 or early 1347, they began loading up their trebuchets, these giant medieval catapults, these big slingshot-type devices, military siege predecessors to cannons, typically uh, would use big swinging wooden arms to hurl boulders into fortress walls or something similar. Well, they were now loading these things up with the plague-infected bodies of the rotting dead and launching them. Into the town of Kaffa, for real. Medieval biological warfare. Can you believe that shit? Think about that. One day you're a soldier in Kaffa. You're used to boulders and arrows, you know, coming at you. You're used to the Mongols trying to slap a ladder up and scale the wall and get inside. You're used to them trying to ram the gate open and storm the city. And then one day, (laughs) just out of nowhere, you suddenly see these guys fucking putting one of their dudes into into the catapult. You're like, what? And then you see one of the Mongols' own dead soldiers literally flying through the air into your city. What the fuck? Are they just splatter against a building or something, just splattering their putrid, rotting bodies under your walls, buildings, and streets? I mean, imagine fighting someone using their own dead soldiers as weapons. Imagine if we flew over Nazi-controlled cities in World War II and dropped bodies instead of bombs. At first, these Genoese soldiers and merchants had to think the Mongols had lost their minds. A body isn't going to knock down a wall. What are these crazy assholes doing? And you have to wonder, did the Mongols even really know what they were doing? I mean, no one knew how diseases spread back then. People were far more likely to think they were being punished by God than think that a tiny microorganism was attacking them. But, but maybe they did suspect, they probably did suspect that, you know, that you could catch whatever was happening from someone who already had it. Or maybe they just knew that uh, suddenly having a, a city full of especially bad-smelling corpses would just be an extremely unpleasant and possibly demoralizing thing to happen. We don't know. We just know that they really did start catapulting bodies into the sky. So crazy to me. These trebuchets could throw an object of a few hundred pounds up to a thousand feet. They fucking launched these dudes. 
<laughs> How weird is that for the Mongol soldiers as well? All right, soldier, load the projectile. No, not that rock, not this time. We have new orders from the Khan today. Put him in the sling. Him, our, our comrade. But that's Greg, sir. I know it's Greg. I'm not blind, but Greg's dead. He won't mind, will he? But shouldn't we bury him, sir? Greg was like a brother to me. He fought well. He deserves a proper burial. Greg deserves to be flung over the wall. It's what Greg would have wanted. He fought for us in life, and he will fight for us in death. If Greg wanted a proper burial, then Greg shouldn't have got sick. Okay, he should have got us in the city. Greg doesn't get a burial now. Greg gets fucking flung. Load the Greg. Aim the Greg. Fire the Greg. <laughs> Soldier, goodbye, dear Greg. Wow. Wow, it's kind of beautiful, really. Majestic, even. Never thought I'd see Greg soar like an eagle, like a condor. Forget about Greg, soldier. Load the chuck. Aim the chuck. Fire the chuck. I know that has, uh, accent has nothing to do with Mongols, but I just I went with the military act. Uh, <laughs> when I really think about this launching thing, I, I kind of want to go out that way, right? If, I, if I'm already dead, I kind of want to be treated that way. What a fun funeral that would be. Like, for real. Make it a game. <laughs> for my funeral, Lindsay, listen up. Lindsay, listen to the part of the, For my funeral, I want my body to be launched out of a giant catapult. Ideally into the sea, because I don't want to fucking splatter and make a big mess for everybody. Launch me into the sea. Put me on a like a like a beach or like a pier or something, and uh, put a little buoy out, like 200 yards. You fling me past that buoy, everyone at the funeral wins a $100 gift certificate. All right? If you at least get me in some deep water, everyone gets like a $10 gift certificate. You get a $10 Starbucks gift certificate if I just make it into the water. But then I also want like a burning funeral pyre like 300 yards out. If you can land me on that fire... Oh, shit. Everyone just won a new F-150. I'm going to have Ford sponsor my funeral. Best funeral ever. Ford Tough. Launch the Dan. Aim the Dan. Launch him. Anyways. Uh, Gabriel DeMusi, a Genoese lawyer who had witnessed the literal launching of the dead, is believed to have recorded the first account of the plague attacking Europe. He later wrote this eyewitness account in 1348. The dying Tatus. Stunned and stupefied by the immensity of the disaster brought about by the disease, realizing that they had no hope of escape, lost interest in the siege. But they ordered corpses to be placed in catapults and lobbed into the city in the hope that the intolerable stench would kill everyone inside. What seemed like mountains of dead were thrown into the city, and the Christians could not hide or flee or escape from them, although they dumped as many bodies as they could into the sea. As soon as the rotting corpses tainted the air and poisoned the water supply, and the stench was so overwhelming that hardly one in several thousand one is in position to flee the remains of the Tata army. Moreover, one infected man could carry the poison to others and infect people in places with the disease by look alone. No one knew or could discover a means of defense. Man, that had been so crazy. Right? You're just trying to get these bodies in the sea and dump them to get them away from them, and they just keep launching one after another. <laughs> Load the Charlie! Fire the Charlie. Load the Dennis. Fire the Dennis. Um, just fucking body after body. Like, stop fucking throwing your bodies on us. These poor Genoese bastards have been fighting the Mongols off, you know, for, for years. Reinforcements come. They, they still control the shipping lanes in the Black Sea. Morale's, you know, high for a while. And then these Mongol sons of bitches start flinging dead into the city. Dead with dark purple or black lumps all over their bodies. Just rotting fingers. Ah, oh, just the stench. Just, just permeates everything, just the, man, the shock and gore and horror of it, of it all. And suddenly within a few days, maybe within a week or, or a month or so, tops. After the first body splats against their streets, one of their own gets sick, really sick. The lumps they've seen on the enemy corpses now appears on one of them. Soon they see other plague signs, coughing up blood, skin turning black. Then often within a day of showing symptoms, the Genoese are dying. 
The corpses adding to the corpses still literally being flung on them. Uh, the horror of the Black Death has hit Europe in what a, in dramatic fashion. In early 1347, Genoese merchants begin to try and flee the death and despair of Calvary. They get in their boats. They're like, fucking, let's get out of here. This is a terrible place to be. They sail back towards Italy and they bring the nightmare with them and greatly accelerate the spread of the disease in Europe. Uh, in May of 1347, Italian ships from Caffa, or Caffa arrived in Constantinople uh, with the Black Death on board. The epidemic breaks loose there in early July. In North Africa and the Middle East, the plague arrives uh, around September 1st, having made it to Cleopatra's old hangout of Alexandria via, you know, merchant ship coming out of Constantinople. Spreads from Constantinople to various other European Mediterranean commercial hubs in the fall of 1347. Reaches Marseille, a seaport in southeast France, by about the second week of September. In November of 1347, uh, Genoese merchants fleeing Kaffa uh, have, have made it uh, to their hometowns of Genoa and Venice with the plague on board. By the time they have arrived, almost no one is still alive on the ship uh, or ships. Uh, ships of the dead and dying are arriving in Italian ports like something out of some dystopian horror movie. The deeply religious Christians of the area must have been thinking this was the end of times. God has come back and he's very angry. On their, on their way home, ships from Genoa also contaminate Florence's uh, seaport city of Pisa. And then all these great commercial cities and ports quickly launch the disease via inland traveling merchants uh, to, to most of the rest of Europe. Certain out-of-the-way towns would be completely left alone, right? Little rural villages that had, you know, very little contact with the outside kind of world. Some of them would be spared entirely. Other towns would be eviscerated and just fucking wiped off the map. Uh, in a few mere months, the plague had spread throughout all Italy, half of Spain and France, down the coast of Dalmatia, on the uh, Adriatic Sea, and north into Germany— spread with alarming speed through Tuscany to Florence, Siena, and Rome. When the pestilence reached Milan, the occupants of the first three houses it struck were walled up, sick or not, and just left to die inside. Harsh, uh, ordered by the archbishop, but it appeared to uh, succeed to some degree, for Milan would suffer less uh, plague deaths than almost any other major Italian city. Florence, or I think actually they suffered less deaths than all the other major Italian cities. Florence, the thriving, prosperous center of trade and culture, not so lucky. It was hit particularly hard by some estimates losing as much as 65,000 residents, roughly a third of its population. The Italian poet uh, Boccaccio, Boccaccio, uh, a man whose most famous work, the uh, Dicameron, uh, centered around a group of people fleeing Florence to avoid the plague, wrote his brother about what he witnessed at this time. His brother was living in a monastery in Montreux. In France, was the only survivor of, uh, of 35 people there. His brother remained in the monastery alone with his dog to guard and tend it after everyone else was dead. And uh, uh, Boccaccio, I think is how you say him. Boccaccio wrote, My brother, my brother, my brother, a new beginning to a letter, though used by Cicero 1,400 years ago. Alas, my beloved brother, what shall I say? How shall I begin? Whither shall I turn? On all sides is sorrow, everywhere is fear. I would, my brother, that I had never been born, or at least had died before these times. How will posterity believe that there has been a time when without the lightnings of heaven or the fires of earth, without wars or other visible slaughter, not this or that part of the earth, but well nigh the whole globe has remained without inhabitants? When has any such thing ever been heard or seen? In what annals has it ever been read that houses were left vacant, cities deserted, the country neglected, the fields too small for the dead, and a fearful and universal solitude over the whole earth? Oh, happy people of the future who have not known these miseries and perchance will class our testimony with the fables. 
We have indeed deserved these punishments and even greater, but our forefathers also have deserved them. And may our posterity not also merit the same. So he's, uh, so he's trying to tell people, man, I swear this sounds fucking crazy, but I swear this happened. It was really this bad. As I worked on this section of notes, I was sitting in a hotel room overlooking downtown New Brunswick in New Jersey. I could see a few church steeples, various apartments, condos, you know, stores, a few, uh, few parking lots, some parks. And even though it was cold out, uh, people were walking around the streets below. And I just started wondering what it would be like to look down and just see death and mayhem, just lifeless bodies, right? Laying all over the streets because there wasn't enough healthy people still living to, to remove them. What if the park had been converted into a mass grave before the grave diggers themselves died? What if I could hear coughing and wailing from some rooms down the hall? You know, what if some of the living uh, below were covered in dark lumps? What if some were coughing up blood? You know, what if I started to feel a fever myself? That was the reality for people like uh, Boccaccio, like what they were seeing. In Siena, work on a cathedral was permanently interrupted by the plague. Uh, workers died or grew too ill to continue, and money for the project was diverted to deal with the health crisis. By the time the plague was over, the city had lost half its population, and there was no more funds for church building. The partially constructed uh, transept was patched up and abandoned, and it can still be seen today. It's still left like this. I looked at a bunch of pictures online. And, and just like the nave of the Siena Cathedral, this unfinished nave, so creepy when you think about why it was left unfinished, right? It's just a, it's just a 14th century just time capsule, just this monument to the plague, stands to this day, a project stopped mid-project by this vicious disease, fucking fleas, man, fleas, rats, continually spreading pain. The last stones placed in this project, stones that you can look at today, put there by workers who probably died of the plague, Right? They're putting that last little piece in, you know, for the day that the fever starting to overtake them, starting to feel a few lumps appearing on their body, start to feel weak, start to have trouble breathing, start to think, oh, fuck, not me. No, not me. Please, God, not me. Beginning to think about uh, those they just seen die that morning or the night before, thinking of the agony coming for them now. Holy shit. Whatever your problems were the day before the plague hit, uh, worrying about money, worrying about a little fight you got in with your wife or husband or father or mother, worrying about your wedding ceremony coming up, if it's going to be like what you want it to be, or if the cobbler's going to finally fix your shoes. None of that means dick now. Death is suddenly all you can think of. I just want to live all around you. It's what you lay in bed and dread at night. Fucking crazy. Uh, and these initial peasants were especially afraid of a plague death uh, due to what it could mean for their eternal souls. In the early months of the plague devastation, many peasants died thinking they were probably going to hell. Uh, they believed that if you weren't given last rites, absolving you of your sins before you died, that you were probably going to burn in hell forever. Uh, these people died in agony and fear, fear for their souls. So much concern about not being able to get last rites uh, that eventually Pope Clement VI granted remission of sin to anyone who died from the plague. Uh, speaking of the Pope, uh, um, from Marseille, the disease moved north to Avignon, 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 Avignon. In less than 30 days in October, the seat of the papacy had been moved from Rome to Avignon uh, in the early part of the 14th century, and new Pope Clement VI occupied the post. As a spiritual leader of all Christendom, uh, Clement decided that he would be no use to anyone if he was dead, so he made it his business to survive. He, his physicians helped matters along by insisting he remained isolated, which did help him stay alive, and they would keep him warm, uh, just having him sit between two ro roaring fires. Just stay there, sleep between the two fires. They had two fires going around him, uh, pretty much 24 hours a day. Not pretty much, definitely 24 hours a day. Uh, and it worked. Historians think the heat of those fires kept the rats and fleas away. And that's how the Pope remained free of the plague. 
Unfortunately, a quarter of Clement's staff, at least a quarter, died in Avignon before the disease was done. Uh, was a room between those two fires for everyone. Man, I bet he didn't want anybody near him. Hey, your, your holiness, I, I am freezing. I, I am deeply saddened from the constant death. I, I could use warmth. Uh, my very soul is frozen. Uh, can I sit and pray near your fire? There is no room. Go away. Uh, but your holiness, the files are big and the room is large. There is actually plenty of space if I were to say, You'll steal my heat! You'll take all my heat and I will perish! Be gone now with you now! But your holiness, I'm quite sure that that is not how fireworks. There will be the same amount of heat uh, hitting both of our bodies. You're covered in fleas! I can see them. I can see the fleas jumping and biting. It's too late for you. Either jump into the fire yourself and add to the warmth, or go back and count how many people are coughing in Avignon. I need to know how much longer this will go on. Be a dear. Uh, throw a few more logs on the fire before you head out to perish. Uh, once the disease had traveled along most of the trade routes in Europe by early 1348, its exact course becomes more difficult and in some areas nearly impossible to plot. Uh, we know that it penetrated into Bavaria by June of 1348. Uh, its course across the rest of Germany is uncertain. While the south of England, also infected by June of 1348, the worst of the epidemic, didn't hit the majority of Great Britain until 1349 hit Britain hard. Uh, the first outbreak of plague swept across England, traveling across the south in bubonic form during the summer months of 1348 before mutating into the even more frightening pneumonic form with the onset of winter. It hit London in September 1348, spread to the eastern coast early during the next year. By spring of 1349, it was ravaging Wales in the Midlands. By late summer, it had made the leap across the Irish Sea and also penetrated north into Scotland. Scots were quick to take advantage of their English neighbors' discomfort, raiding Durham in 1349, as we heard about in the beginning of the suck, uh, and the plague attacked Scotland by the end of 1349, yeah, or early 1350, like I said. One graphic testimony can be found in St. Mary's Ashwell, Herefordshire, where an anonymous hand has carved a harrowing inscription for the year 1349. All they carved was, wretched, terrible, destructive year. The remnants of the people alone remain. Uh, rumors of a terrible plague sweeping like wildfire across Europe had been rumbling for some time. It's not surprised that the vibrant trading port of Bristol was the first major town in Britain to be affected. It had close connections with the European continent. Ships, man, merchant ships and the rats and fleas on board spread that plague around Europe like nobody's business. Uh, the pestilence arrived in London in yeah, November of 1348, showed up in time for the Feast of All Saints on the 1st and... Uh, Grew so powerful that between Candlemas and Easter, between February 2nd and April 12th, more than 200 corpses were buried every day in the new burial ground made next to Smithfield. This was in addition to the bodies buried in other graveyards in the city. What made things worse was the fact that London was almost certainly hit by a combined attack of pneumonic and bubonic plague. The bacteria was spreading rapidly in both forms. Rats, fleas, coughs, and sneezes, pushing it all over the damn place. Raged in London until the spring of 1350 generally assumed to have killed between a third and half of the entire population in just over a year's time. I mean, imagine your city losing half its population uh, in about, you know, a year. Unfathomable. In some British villages, it was far worse. 80 to 90% of the population died in certain places. In Kilkenny, Ireland, the death rate was allegedly almost 100%. In Spain and Portugal, the plague crept inland from port cities at a somewhat slower uh, pace than it did in Italy and France. In the war at Granada, Muslim soldiers were the first to succumb to the illness, and some feared the horrific disease was Allah's punishment, and they even contemplated converting to Christianity. Before they could do so, however, their Christian enemies also struck down, making it clear that the plague uh, took no notice of religious affiliation. It was in Spain that the only major ruling monarch uh, of Europe would, would die of this disease, 
The advisors of King Alfonso XI of Castile begged him to isolate himself, but he refused to leave his troops, and then he got sick and died on March 26, 1350. By 1349, after having infected virtually all of Western Europe and half of Central Europe, the uh, spread of the plague finally began to slow down. Most of Europe and Britain, now keenly aware that a horrible pandemic was amongst them, the more affluent had been fleeing the heavily populated areas, retreating to the countryside. Uh, By 1349, many of the areas that had initially been afflicted were beginning to see the end of the first wave. However, in the more heavily populated cities, it was only a temporary temporary respite. Paris, London, other major crowded uh, areas suffered several waves of the plague in following years. Not as bad as the first wave, but it would come back a few years later, a decade later, and kill a bunch of people all over again. At some point in late 1349, the plague made its way north to Norway in the most nightmarish, creepy way. By this time, quarantines had been put in effect in most European ports because of the plague. Uh, The word quarantine comes from the plague. Ships arriving in Venice from other infected ports uh, had started to be required to sit at anchor for 40 days before coming to shore. The word quarantine derived from the Italian words uh, quartana giorni, which means 40 days. The practice didn't keep the plague from reaching Venice, didn't stop it from reaching Norway either. Uh, A ship carrying wool sailed from London in late 1349 bound for Norway. And this ship was doomed in a way I've never read about a ship being doomed before. The journey should have only taken around 10 days, not counting the quarantine. Well, one or more of the sailors had apparently been infected before the vessel's departure. And by the time it made it to the quarantine, the entire crew was dead. All of them. Just a big trading ship with an entirely dead crew floating off the coast of Norway. If it would have just sunk, Norway may have been spared from the plague or at least for spared for a while longer. But the ship kept quietly drifting on, plague-infested rats and fleas, the only living passengers, and then it ran aground near Bergen, uh, Norway, where some curious Norwegians went aboard to investigate its mysterious arrival and got infected. Ufta! We're very sick now. Uh, the plague was off and running. Uh, from Bergen, the plague spread uh, rapidly northwards, southwards along the coast, overland uh, to eastern Norway. The plague deaths remained in Norway for approximately six months. By 1350, it reached Sweden. By 1351, it bounced over into, uh, you know, present day like Finland, northeastern Russia. The plague spread slower in these areas, may not have been quite as devastating uh, due to fewer urban areas, long, hard winters, long distance between, you know, townships. Fewer heavily traded trade routes. Uh, by 1351, the Black Death was largely over, although recurrent outbreaks of the plague in isolated areas would continue off, off and on for centuries. Uh, but it would never ravage Europe in the same way again. And, and I should note that, that even during the Black Death, the plague largely did spare some parts of Europe, including isolated parts of Belgium and the Netherlands. Milan, as we said, wasn't you know heavily affected. Uh, the modern-day France-Spain border wasn't heavily affected. Um, you know, usually these places weren't affected because of isolated geography, you know, political isolation, you know, just whatever. They weren't interacting much with the rest of Europe. The plague also largely spared the kingdom of Poland. Research has determined that even plague fleas and plague rats uh, are grossed out by Polish people and found uh, that their their blood tastes like rancid uh, pierogies and the disease just doesn't, it doesn't care for them. Uh, if you were Polish, the Black Death was a great time to be alive. There was suddenly plenty of work because uh, all of a sudden the rest of the Europe people who would normally chase you around with a pitchfork as God intended, were now willing to treat you as if you were almost a human being and give you work. Uh, never get sold! Uh, to me, at least. I'm sure some of you are, are sick of my constant Polish character assassinations. No, the plague really did spare, uh, spare the kingdom of Poland, though. Uh, why? Well, no one knows for absolute certain, but uh, solid Polish leadership seems to be a major factor. Not joking now. Who knew? Uh, King Kazimir the Great was a beloved and respected ruler 
in 14th century Poland. Seriously, sounds like a kick-ass fella. Most Polish cities had been uh, renovated from the ground up during his reign. This could have helped limit the spread of the plague, you know, better infrastructure, less crowded, better sanitation. He also kept borders sealed for the plague duration. He enforced the isolation of towns. May not have uh, understood the science of how the disease spread, but he did know that when someone uh, got infected with the plague, when they showed up into, a, into town, other people started to get sick. So the best way to spread, uh, stop the spread of the disease was to isolate your community. He knew that. Also, Poland had relatively fewer people back then compared to most other European kingdoms. It was actually during the reign of King Casimir the Great that the population of his kingdom would explode due to the prosperity many under his rule benefited from. Also helped that Poland was more rural during the plague years than many surrounding countries. And uh, finally, this is totally random, and I'm not sure it's even true, but I found it interesting. found this on a historical Reddit thread and felt compelled to share it. Supposedly, Poland had a lot more cats, not kidding, than the average European nation uh, around this time, and these cats may have helped out. It's, it's a theory. Cats supposedly were not killed in Poland due to a lack of superstition there regarding cats that did exist elsewhere. The Polish weren't as worried about uh, them being, you know, harbingers, uh, harbingers of the of the devil or like Satan's minions or witches' fucking sidekicks or anything. So because there were more cats, there were fewer rats around for the fleas to jump on because the cats had held the rat populations down. Again, I don't know if that's totally uh, accurate, but I found it interesting. Uh, Bojangles thinks it's a bunch of bullshit. Our one-eyed, three-legged pit bull defender and mascot, he thinks that cats are demonic in nature and that if anything, they started the plague. To kill off both dogs and humans so they can rule the world and piss and shit uh, wherever they please. So, you know, uh, that's another perspective to add to all this. Uh, in the fall of 1351, the plague reached the Russian town of Skoff. By the, by the spring of 1352, the plague reached uh, Nov- Novgorod, Russia. By 1353, the plague had reached Moscow. And it killed an estimated 30 to 50% of the population in all of those places. And then by th- 1354... While occasional recurrences of plague would continue to ravage various cities and areas with outbreaks for centuries, the Black Death was basically done with Europe. Those who survived were, were going to likely live until something else was going to get them. And Europe started to rebuild, uh, you know, pull itself out of the wreckage and carnage that the Black Death had left it, uh, left it in. And that takes us out of today's Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Before we discuss other areas outside of Europe ravaged by the Black Death, other historical plague pandemics, insane plague, medical treatments, and more, uh, a word from today's final sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. I'm on a lifelong quest to learn as much as I can about the past and the world around me. You know that. And The Great Courses Plus has been an invaluable tool that's been assisting me on my journey. With The Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to in-depth, insightful information on virtually any topic. The streaming service has thousands of lectures to explore on topics like world history, archaeology, astronomy, art and literature, uh, even cooking, learning a new language. And they're all presented by top-notch experts who are uh, passionate about what they teach. You can watch or listen entirely on your schedule from anywhere. I've been enjoying the course, uh, The History of Ancient Egypt. That Cleopatra suck got me curious. Uh, Egyptologist Bob Breer examines the three periods of ancient Egypt, including uh, Sneferu and the First Pyramids. The mysterious reign of Queen uh, Hatshepsut, the murder of King Tut, and even how to read uh, hieroglyphs. Lecture 44 is fantastic. The Middle Ptolemies, the decline. 
Uh, more info on one of the world's worst families. So much incest, so much murder. Uh, Bob states that a TV show about the Ptolemies might be called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Murderous. The Egyptian people hated many of these rulers, frequently rebelled. You would, too, if you lived under these maniacs. Uh, it's 30 minutes long and a riveting lecture. Nice uh, counterpiece to the Cleopatra suck. To help you get started, The Great Courses Plus is offering a free trial. Free trial with unlimited access to learn about anything. To get this fantastic offer, this great offer, sign up through thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. Link in the episode description. Push the Great Courses button in the Time Suck app. Just push it. Push it real good. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Sorry. Now back to the Black Death. Why, why did Salt and Pepper just show up in my head? I don't even know. I wasn't planned. Push it real good. I haven't thought of that in years. Ah. <laughs> when you look at the Black Death, the bulk of information. I have so many tunes in my head all the time, by the way. I try to fight it. There's always a tune. Lindsay knows. Uh, my wife knows. I'm mumbling about weird shit all the time. Constantly fighting. Like Sometimes I feel like that's why I get distracted even with my notes and mess things up. Because I'm trying to keep the tune quiet in my head. Like this entire episode because of last week's episode, because of Mothman. I, the whole time I've been talking today. Mothman burning out of fuel there alone. Always. The whole episode in my head. Okay, yeah. when you look into the Black Death, <laughs> you'll come across, uh, you know, a lot of information dealing with the plague affecting Europe, but it didn't just devastate Europe. The plague traveled to Europe from Asia. What kind of damage did it do over there? In 1331, almost two decades before the plague made it to Europe, the plague was fucking up Asia big time. An outbreak erupted in the uh, Yuan Empire in 1331, may have hastened the end of Mongol rule in, in China. Uh, the epidemic ravaged the empire. Millions of people died in Ubei province of northeastern China alone. As of 1200, China had a total population of more than 120 million, but a 1393 census found only 65 million Chinese surviving. Some of the missing population killed by famine and upheaval in the transition from the Yuan to Ming rule, but untold millions and millions uh, in all likelihood died of the bubonic plague. Most of them likely dying in the early and mid 13th century. From its origin at the eastern end of the Silk Road, the Black Death uh, rode trade routes west, stopping Central Asian uh, caravanseries, um, which were like basically old school caravan truck stops, and, and Middle Eastern trade centers and subsequently infected people all across Asia. Uh, the Egyptian scholar Al Mazraki noted that more than 300 tribes all perished without apparent reason in their summer and winter encampments in the course of pasturing their flocks and during their seasonal migration. He claimed that all of Asia was depopulated as far as the Korean Peninsula. And that's crazy that, like, you know, various tribes all perished. And I bet they did because even if the plague didn't kill everybody in that caravan and you're trying to get through the desert, it probably in many uh, cases killed enough people uh, where the rest of the people weren't able to continue to survive without the help of the people who had just died, right? They would depend on each other to get through these, uh, you know, uh, deserts and stuff. And if the people who were good at like getting your fucking food and keeping the keeping the the caravan moving, if your if your horses and everything were dying too, well, then you're gone. Thirteen thirty five, the Mongol ruler of Persia in the Middle East, Abu Said, died of bubonic plague during a war with his northern cousins, the Golden Horde. This signaled the beginning of the end of Mongol rule in the region. An estimated 30% of Persia's people died of the plague in the mid-14th century. Uh, one European merchant noted several years before the plague hit Europe that India was depopulated. Uh, Tatari, or, or uh, 
Tatary, Mesopotamia, Syria, Armenia were covered with dead bodies. The Kurds fled in vain to the mountains. But what about Africa? Written records for Africa, just uh, sadly, just not as common uh, from the era as they were in Europe and Asia. Much harder to determine exactly how much damage the plague did there. But one plague scholar, expert, and William & Mary Associate Professor of History and Director of the Medieval and Renaissance Studies Program, Gerard Chowin, is determined to find out. After four years of work, Chowin is adamant that the medieval-era bubonic plague uh, spread to sub-Saharan Africa and killed as many people there as it did in Europe. So, I mean, in total, the plague may have reduced the world population from an estimated 450 million down to 350 million in the late 14th century. Numbers that would have been far higher if Europeans had already been traveling to North and South America uh, where the plague, you know, didn't kill anybody. Uh, it would take roughly 200 years for the world population to recover to its previous level. It set the world's population kind of growth, you know, uh, back two centuries. So now we have a pretty good idea of how this disease spread and how much damage it did. Once Europe knew that a pestilence was upon it, once the body started to stack up, how did various communities try to stop the plague? How did they try to treat the plague? Arguably, the worst part of getting sick in the 14th century was the fact that real doctors did not exist at all. There were people considered to be doctors, people who thought of themselves as doctors, and they made the biggest quacks of today look like medical geniuses. These guys had no fucking clue what they were doing when it came to disease. Uh, getting strong antibiotics and getting them quickly gives you the best chance of surviving a plague infection today. But they didn't have that. Medieval doctors mainly treated the disease with various herb concoctions or bloodletting. Uh, bloodletting, terrible way to treat uh, the plague. It's a terrible way to treat basically anything. A uh, great way to spread the plague. Uh, herbs don't do shit when it comes to the plague. A little, little bit of rosemary, a little bit of basil, oregano might make your chicken taste better. It's not going to help you not die of plague. Uh, prayer was a common medical treatment, but, you know, you don't get to pray the plague away. A lot of people tried. Millions tried and millions died. Uh, in 14th century Europe, the main medical diagnostic method was studying urine. That's where... Uh, you know, doctory was at. What <laughs> they didn't have CAT scans. You were going to get an MRI. That you were just they were just going to check out your piss and be like, nah, looks sick. Doesn't look good. Looks like bad piss. Uh, the, the image of a doctor holding up a urine flask epitomized the height of medical knowledge at the time. I'm not kidding. Uh, and they wouldn't just look at urine. They would <laughs> they would smell and taste it. Yay, medieval doctors. Just yes, yes, definitely plague. Definitely plague. I, let me let me take a little sip of it. Mm -mm. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That tastes like plague piss to me. Uh, I suspected you had the plague after looking at the purple lumps, steadily blackening fingers, increasingly bloody coffee fits. Uh, but now we have the the analysis, the test results to confirm my suspicions. Your your piss is is definitely plague piss. I would normally recommend a course of treatment involving the smelling of lavender and covering you in leeches, or perhaps cutting your arms. Ah, uh, but we've, we've been out of leeches for weeks. Uh, we have no lavender, so I, I grab some dandelions. The best I can do under the circumstances, please sniff these. I shall uh, poke you in the arm in a few places to get your blood leaving your body. Uh, pray as hard as, as you sniff the dandelions. Uh, will it work, doctor? Will I live? Is, yes, there's a very good chance you'll survive. I'm one of the best plague doctors. I, I cure almost one in 20 of my patients. If you excuse me, I'm, I'm feeling a bit off myself. These large, dark boils are driving me quite crazy. Uh, I need to get rid of more blood. Uh, get some better piss in my system before I, before I carry on. Maybe sniff some juniper berries. Uh, obviously, these treatments did not work at all. And when people kept dying, doctors got more desperate and creative in their attempts to stop the plague. Uh, <laughs> some doctors 
resorted to rubbing actual human shit on the plague buboes. For real. The inflamed lymph nodes, you know, in the armpits or groins, the plague victim would often be opened up. I can't imagine how painful that would be. So they would open up to get the, let the disease leave the body. You know, you got to cut it open, get the blood coming out of there so the disease can flee. And then they would get, make this mixture of tree resin, flower roots, and human shit, like a little shit putty. And they would fucking push that in your open lymph node sore area and then, and then you know, kind of wrap you up to make sure the shit stays in there. My God. <laughs> that, that had to be so painful. And that had to greatly accelerate your infection. There's no way anyone survived that if they had the plague and then had a bunch of shit rubbed inside of their body. <laughs> if they did, man, you're a tough son of a bitch. You survived that treatment. Uh, I hope I, I hope uh, you're one of my, my ancestors. I hope I have some of your genetics if you're that fucking tough. Uh, urine became marketed not only as a diagnostic tool, but as a cure as well. Some plague victims uh, told that if they bathed in urine a few times a day, it could save them, right? If you had the money to buy that much piss. Drinking urine also encouraged... <laughs> just drink but you gotta drink healthy urine you can't drink some nasty ass plague urine that's fucking gross come on man drink quality piss just a glass or two of clean piss a day keeps the plague away drinking piss every day keeps the plague far away uh, during the years of black death clean uninfected urine was collected and given or sold to people <laughs> if you're healthy you could make some sweet side money just selling jars of your own piss People did that. People made money selling urine for other people to drink. Imagine that on a resume today. <laughs> Coming up like a job, you know, trying to get a job. I'm a little confused regarding what you did in 1999. It appears you stopped working at Hot Topic in 1998. Uh, didn't get employed by Buckle until 2001. What were you doing for those uh, other years? Uh, there was a plague outbreak, and I uh, I made some piss money for a couple years. Um, come again? Uh, my piss. I sold it for people to drink so they wouldn't get sick. Did that, did that work? No, no, not at all. Uh, I think I made them quite a bit sticker, but uh, I made good money. A lot of money in piss if you can find the right market. Uh, many people believe the diseases were spread by, by smell back then, so a lot of the treatments and preventative measures revolved around creating either pleasant or horrible smells. Um, some peasants would fill their home with flowers and herbs, like a little potpourri, to keep the stink of decaying bodies away because they thought that's how you got sick. You know, you smell the stink. Others would try to outstink the plague. <laughs> they, would, they would let various animals rot outside their doorsteps or inside their homes. <laughs> Other <laughs> so fucked up. Just I just picture just like outside the you know cottage, just like a couple dead dogs just rotting away. Maybe a couple rotten rotting cat, you know raccoons or uh, or um, one of those. One of those, one of those uh, dang it, I can't think of that animal that uh, pretends to be possum. A couple possums, there we go. A couple dead possums just, you know, laid out around the house. Ah, oh, just so gross. Others thought that smelling their own shit would keep the plague away. And, would lo- and they would lock themselves in, the, in latrines and, and they would breathe in just as much poo aroma as they could. Uh, in some bigger cities, you know, some attempted to live underground in the sewers. <laughs> they would just surround themselves and stink. Many stopped bathing altogether to avoid the plague, just hoping that their own stink would, would keep the disease away. Just, you know, just stop bathing, drink piss, uh, rub shit in your wounds, smell poo, uh, and hopefully you won't get sick. <laughs> uh, some doctors also advise thinking pleasant thoughts to keep the plague away. Just the old wish it away treatment. 
Please, plague, please don't come. I don't want to die today. Please, plague, please don't come. I don't want to die that way. Plague, stay away. I'll rub more poo in my wounds. Rub more poo in my wounds. Drink more piss if you stay away. Unicorns, unicorns, puppy cuddles. <laughs> what the fuck? Ah! Getting massaged by mermaids. Eating something that's not poop. Drinking wine. Drinking not piss. That's what I want in my happy place. Um... Other doctors recommended doing as little as possible, avoiding sudden movements to stay healthy. They had no fucking idea. These guys are just recommending the craziest shit. Um, Pope, Pope Clement VI, that guy hanging out between the two fires, um, he recommended limiting conversation with others with the exception of those whose breath is sweet. Just stay away from poo, poo breath. Get get out of here, halitosis. I'm not trying to get plagued, you foul-mouthed, sour-tongued son of a bitch. Send Jeffrey back in, whose breath smells like lavender. Uh, eating crushed emeralds was a way the wealthy would try to cure the plague. It is fucking whatever. Uh, didn't help. Probably did tear up their colons quite a bit. Some people, <laughs> some people tried rubbing hot onions on their plague boils. Uh, some people thought you could actually dance the plague away. Just dance and sing and be merry until the plague would leave you alone. Right, like the little rats, like, come on, fellow rats, let's take our fleas to the next town. They're too happy here. Can't infect these peasants. Look at the fun little jigs they're doing. Don't want to mess that up. Let's find some sad folk to infect down the road. The craziest cure attempt I read about involved pigeons. Some people thought if you got a hold of a pigeon, <laughs> then plucked the feathers off of its tail, then held the pigeon's raw ass to your to your plague boil. Plague boil. So you'd open up like the plague boil. You cut open the boil, uh, fucking rip out the, the the pigeon's feathers, get his like a bloody butt, and then you'd stick the pe- the pigeon butt up against the the bubo the boil. And the theory was that the, somehow the pigeon's ass would suck the plague poison into the bird and kill it and let you live. And you just keep doing that with pigeon after pigeon until one of the pigeons didn't die. And that's how you knew, right? No more poison in your body. Oh, my God. This treatment, very bad at uh, curing plague, very good at killing pig- pigeons. Um, started in the 17th century when the plague uh, you know, would break out again. Plague doctors decided that in addition to not having any good ideas about how to treat patients, they would also uh, dress up and look scary as shit. They started to dress up in what's come to be known as a plague doctor costume. If you want to, if you Google this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The plague doctor is – this look is mostly associated with an evil, insane bird-looking mask. Very steampunk look to it. Has a very steampunk look to it. Uh, doctors started wearing these strange bird-like masks with these huge beaks uh, that were uh, built to limit their their ability to smell the dead and the dying. Right? They were so obsessed with smells. These long beaks on the mask had a purpose. You would fill them with herbs, so the aroma would keep you from smelling the plague. And then the mask got even weirder quickly when people kept getting sick. Despite the mask, uh, they thought that maybe looking directly at the plague victim could give you the plague. So they started adding red crystal kind of eyepieces to prevent getting a solid look at plague victims. Uh, that's like thinking you can't get AIDS if you wear sunglasses. Just, bro, forget about condoms, man. Just put on these fucking Ray-Bans, bro. Put on these Ray-Bans. You can raw dog it, whoever you want. You don't, you, won't get, you won't even get anybody pregnant. If you don't want to get someone pregnant, rub some hot onions on your balls. You Put on a rub, Ray-Bans, rub some hot onions on your balls before you head out, and you're all fucking good to go. Trust me, bro. I'm, I'm a doctor. Uh, plague doctors would also commonly carry a cane to examine and, and direct patients without the need to make contact, you know, with the patient. They'd wear like these long black robes, have like black, long black gloves, you know, they'd cover all their exposed skin. They look like monsters. They look like 
post-apocalyptic, grim, grim reaper-esque, weird bird monsters. Uh, as as uh, <clears throat> all of these insane cure attempts continued to fail and the diseases continued to kill an unprecedented number of people in Europe, fear grew, paranoia followed, as it often does. You know, people started looking for someone to blame. Uh, you know, was God angry at them? Is that why this was happening? Some pointed to the corruption in the church. Others said that God's anger came as a result of divisiveness within uh, Christian Europe. You know, too many countries fighting each other, and God's mad about it. Uh, the plague was seen as, as a great leveler, the vehicle to restore uh, peace between nations, right? God's wrath would purge Europe of its evil, warring ways. Uh, others came to believe that the plague was God's punishment for, for the Christians not continuing to pursue the Crusades. God was angry at them for not destroying enough Muslims. Uh, and then came along the most popular idea for why the plague was happening. Why was the Black Death ravaging Christian Europe? Well, because they'd allowed the Christ killing Jewish people to live in their midst. Yep. The Jewish people, how many times have they gotten fucked over in various European sucks? Time and time and time again. Uh, sucks to be the religious minority in a land full of the religious majority when your religion is tightly linked to killing the other religion's prophet. That dynamic has really not worked out for the Jewish people over and over again. Uh, this idea quickly gained widespread acceptance in many communities throughout Christian Europe, and they felt like the formula for saving one's community from the plague lay in either converting, exiling, or just flat-out murdering uh, their Jewish populations. From 1349 until about 1390, the Jewish communities of France, Germany, and England almost disappeared completely, virtually totally wiped out. In 1350, Frankfurt had over 19,000 uh, 19, Jewish people. By 1400, roughly 10 were left. Fuck. Uh, man, uh, Strasbourg in 1349 saw most of its Jewish population either burned to death or forcibly converted. The following is an excerpt from the Strasbourg Chronicle, which said on, sat uh, on Saturday, that was St. Valentine's Day, they burnt the Jews on a wooden platform in their cemetery. There were about 2,000 of them. Those who wanted to baptize, them, baptize themselves were spared. Thus were the Jews burnt at Strasbourg and in the same year in all the cities of the Rhine. In some towns, they burnt the Jews after a trial and others without a trial. In some cities, the Jews themselves set fire to their houses and cremated themselves. I don't know. Not sure about that last part. I highly doubt they started setting themselves on fire uh, to beat the Christians uh, to the punch. I don't, maybe, though. Maybe they're like, all right, fuck it. We'll just kill ourselves so you don't kill us in a worse way. Uh, the 3,000 strong Jewish population of Mainz initially defended themselves, uh, managed to hold off their Christian attackers, but the Christians managed to overwhelm the Jewish ghetto in the end and killed most of the uh, Jewish people there. My God, man, how terrible is that? You're already worried about the plague, right? You're already just as susceptible to as, as every other human is in Europe to getting these extremely uh, painful plague boils and dying quickly. You're already hoping this mysterious pestilence that you don't know anything about either doesn't strike you dead at dinner, leave you dead by breakfast. And now you have a bunch of crazy assholes convinced that you are the reason the disease is killing everyone. And now angry mobs are forming and coming for you and burning you alive. And you can't talk them out of killing you because they think they're following God's will. You cannot reason with a maniac that delusional. Religious zealots are some of the scariest people on earth to me, right? Because you, there's, there's no logic there. Once they think it's God's will, you're fucking over. If they, if they think that, you know, killing you is part of God's plan. Oh, man, killing someone just because they worship a different God than you do, Right? They haven't raped anybody, haven't molested anybody, haven't killed. It's just a different type of faith. And then you burn them alive. What a terribly ignorant mentality. And sadly, still around. Sadly, still around. Uh, like, like, like anyone who thinks that, you know, we should just like nuke North Korea or nuke Syria, nuke Afghanistan. Same mentality as those medieval dummies. Right? Those people are different from me and I don't like it. Kill them all. Congratulations. You're a stupid piece of shit. 
Uh, take out the Taliban or take out some uh, horrific totalitarian regime? Yeah, all for it. Kill everyone? No. Uh, the kind of person who thinks that, uh, you know, that's the answer is the kind of person who would have been the first in line to burn down these Jewish communities. Uh, Christians despised Jews for the lack of conviction in Jesus Christ. The official church policy in Europe at the time was to protect Jews because Jesus was born into the Jewish race, race but in reality, they were continual targets of Christian loathing. Uh, as the plague swept across Europe in the mid-14th century, annihilating nearly half the population, the Jewish people became scapegoat number one. Accusations spread that the Jews actively caused the disease by deliberately poisoning wells and other propaganda. Uh, part of the persecution came from Jewish communities not seeming to be hit as hard by the plague as other communities. And there may be truth to that, that they weren't hit as hard uh, because they— they had different sanitary practices. Jewish law compels one to wash uh, his or her hands many times throughout the day. This was, was not the norm for everyone in medieval Europe. A Christian peasant might go half their life without washing their hands. According to Jewish law, uh, one could not eat food without washing one's hands, leaving the bathroom, and after any sort of intimate human contact. Uh, also, at least once a week, a Jew, uh, Jewish person would, would bathe for the Sabbath. Christian peasants might go months or longer in between baths. Furthermore, Jewish law uh, prevents the Jewish people from reciting blessings and saying prayers by an open pit at latrines and at places of, with, a, with a foul order. The sanitary conditions in the Jewish neighborhood, primitive as they might be by today's standards, were far superior to general sanitary conditions of the day. So crazy, man. Being cleaner may have spared them from the plague and then being saved from the plague uh, aroused suspicion and raged other medieval people who then burned them to death. <laughs> Fuck. We meat sacks can be so incredibly dumb. And, uh, and speaking of dumb, uh, let's check in with some dumb, uh, a lot of dumb on today's especially dumb idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Uh, there's a great YouTube video out there titled, Why Do People Hate the Jews? Posted by someone named Mr. Beat, uh, a teacher. Almost 3 million views in less than a year. 32,000 likes. 17,000 dislikes. That 17,000 dislikes is concerning, as you'll understand here soon. Uh, this YouTuber known as Mr. Beat, a man who posts new history video every week on YouTube, I like it, opens this video by showing clips of popular anti-Semitic videos online. Then he asks a bunch of colleagues uh, who are fellow teachers, he's a high school social studies teacher, who the most persecuted group of people in, uh, in history is. Almost every colleague, colleague excuse me, says the Jewish people. Even though they make up far less than 1% of the world's population, they have been targeted more often than any other ethnic group when it comes to persecution and death. Uh, Mr. Beat then asks why he thinks the Jewish people are so often persecuted. One colleague talks about how when times get tough, historically, people want a scapegoat. And they tend to blame those they don't understand, and most Christians don't understand Judaism. Then Mr. Beat defines who Jewish people are, both ethnically and culturally. He then covers a variety of medieval laws passed against the Jewish people. Like they couldn't marry Christians, they couldn't hold certain jobs, they couldn't post various positions uh, or couldn't hold various positions in government, couldn't be witnesses in court. Propaganda was circulated. They had horns and tails and they killed Christian babies and, uh, you know, would eat Christian children and satanic sacrifices. Uh, he talks about various attacks on Jewish people and about how uh, uh, Jewish people displacing Palestinians after World War II. Uh, just and on and on. Just gives a general historical lesson about who the Jewish people are, what has happened to them, why are the people have historically gotten very angry towards them. And he ends it with a warning that anti-Semitism still exists and it's up to us to end it. And anyone who doesn't think that anti-Semitism is alive and well needs to read the comments below this video. It's fucking so, he gives this great PSA about like, hey, historically this shit for sure happened. 
and it's terrible and we shouldn't do it anymore. And then you get comments from anti-Semite Kevin Afton and others uh, who post stuff like, so basically you just repeated what the Jews claim and completely ignored what their opponents are saying. Nice biased job. Hope you were paid well. You fucking idiot, Kevin. You cartoonish stereotype of a human being. You spelled paid uh, wrong, by the way, like most fucking idiots do here in these comments. If you look at the idiotic comments compared to non-idiotic comments, the spelling, fucking way worse on the uh, idiotic ones. It's P-A-I-D, not P-A-Y-E-D. If you really truly think that some group of Jewish leaders have bribed this high school social studies teacher to make a pro-Jewish people uh, propaganda video, throw yourself off the tallest building you can fucking find before you fuck more idiots into this world. Or at least have the humanity and decency to cut your dick off. Uh, Science finds God posts. I think we hate anybody who teaches that they are inherently more important than any other people. Uh, Rumblepuss then posts, no wonder so many people hate America. I thought that was kind of clever if you're going to take that attitude. And Jolie posts, well, uh, I'm sorry, but as a Jew, I never felt or said I was better than anyone based on my ethnicity. What you're saying sounds like an, an excuse to hate Jews. And then I posted, couldn't help myself this time. So do you, I posted two science finds God. I posted at science finds God. Do you hate all religious people? Since basically every religion teaches its followers that they are the only ones who know the real truth. Or are you anti-Semitic? Just wondering how even handed you are with your ignorance. And then he replies to me, I don't hate people. And then I replied to him, uh, quote, I think we hate anybody. And quote, you realize when we say, quote, we, that includes you, right? Nothing so far on that one. Uh, I think I stumped him. I think he's like, ah, okay, whatever. I'll go troll somewhere else. Uh, Jewish poster, Pokemon Red Sox, come, uh, has some fun with the hate writing. So I was raised as a Jew, and I always wondered, am I just not Jewish enough? I hear all this conspiracy stuff about the Jews, but I'm personally not part of the conspiracy. I'm extremely sad, and I hope I get my invite to one of their meetings soon. <laughs> I love the sarcasm. Love it. Uh, user Shaj replies, same here. I think we're diluting the stats. I'm not rich, nor do I have any connections at the top. Please invite me when you're in. Sincerely, a broke Jew. <laughs> Love it. Uh, fellow Jewish poster, uh, Joachim Sundberg posts, Did you not get the invite? Sorry about that. Uh, we are weakening some currencies and shit next week if you want to tag along. And then idiot Juan Patel posts, It's because you are not even conscious that you were already pre-programmed and hardwired. Shut the fuck up, Juan. Pre-programmed? I know many poor Jewish people, broke-ass Jewish comedians, struggling Jewish uh, actors. There's no secret club. There's no secret club. They're not getting, they weren't getting any more auditions than I was. Uh, There's no secret club where they get all the money, you dumb fuck. Uh, Jag knows what's up, posting, this comment section just supports this notion. Uh, Referring, of course, to the notion of anti-Semitism still being alive and well. And then Daniel G pretends to be a free thinker, but is really just another dumb shit racist, writing... To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. That quote comes up over and over and over whenever somebody on the web is like, hey, man, take it easy on the fucking Jews. Let's, let's ease up on the Jewish people. They have suffered quite enough uh, over ignorance. And, and then they act like, well, let's fuck, okay, whoever we're told we can't attack, they're the real problem. This quote's often attributed to the French historian and philosopher Voltaire. No, it, it was written by Kevin Alfred Strom. A piece of human fucking garbage. A white nationalist, new Nazi, Holocaust denier who spread a lot of propaganda. Just a piece of shit who pled guilty to possessing kitty porn in 2008. It's his quote. Uh, Calvin Winstead posts more racism. 
saying Jews are like a girl with 109 failed relationships, but somehow convinced herself that it's all their fault. Uh, 1,100 likes, no dislikes. Uh, user first name gets the logic fallacy, understands it actually, posting more like a guy who has had 109 failed relationships that all come from the same man-hating sorority. Exactly. The Jews have been hated time and time again, not because they're making terrible, terrible decisions time and time again. They've just historically continually been surrounded over and over again by members of another larger religion who conveniently make them into scapegoats all the fucking time. <laughs> That's why. Uh, finally, user there's oh, uh, zero limits posts. Someone burned this comment thread to the ground and then Mr. Beat himself, the poster of the video posts, I'm leaving it up for the FBI. Love it, Mr. Beat. Keep fighting the good fight, man. Anti-Semitism, alive and well on the web. Maybe some of the posters are young, foolish trolls, but, but not all of them. I think Jewish hate is still incredibly common and strong. One of the many reasons why history is so important. Got to remind ourselves what can happen when hate gets out of hand. Learn how patterns repeat themselves. Help understanding that we shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, tolerate ignorance now, man. Ignorance is not just frustrating. It's dangerous. Fuck ignorant people. It's led to way too many innocent deaths over and over again. As a non-religious person, I've talked uh, 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 quite often about how I love my Christian listeners. Been reminded of that by their messages over and over. Want to remind my Jewish listeners, love you meat sacks too. It's fucking same meat sack team. Sorry for all the fuckery you've had to deal with. Uh, can we start considering having an IQ test you have to pass before you're allowed to have kids, please? Can we, can we at least put that on the voting table, right? If you don't pass certain questionnaires, you get your reproductive, or, reproductive organs removed. I hope that someday we can weed out the idiots and someday never have another idiots of the internet uh, comment section to even refer to. Idiots of the internet. Sorry for kind of babbling on there a little, a little bit at the end. Uh, got a little worked up. Before we move on to discussing a few other plague outbreaks and how the Black Death affected how we live today, let's look at a group of Europeans who did not blame the Jewish people, but uh, were just as insane as those who did. Some people blame themselves for the Black Death and none more dramatically than the flagellants. These wackadoodles are something else. The flagellants were religious zealots who demonstrated their religious fervor and sought atonement for their sins by vigorously whipping themselves and each other in public displays of penance. <laughs> and times of crisis really got these nuts to whipping. Ah, they kicked the whippage up big time. The plague motivated thousands of them to take the streets, start whipping the shit out of themselves, whipping themselves into bloody messes in various town squares around Europe. Members of the movement uh, known in Germany as the Brethren of the Cross roamed Central and Eastern Europe during the Black Death. The self-punishment on a personal level was uh, supposed to bring one closer to Christ's experience at the hands of the Romans. And on a community level, self-flagellation was believed to force others to take a hard look at themselves, look at their own sins. Pope Clement VI quickly condemned them as being heretical, uh, but that didn't stop them from whipping their way across Europe. The following description of the flagellants comes to us from Sir Robert of Avesbury, who witnessed their ritual in England. In that same year of 1349, about Michaelmas, September 29th, over 600 men came to London from Flanders, mostly of Zealand and Holland origin. Sometimes at St. Paul's and sometimes at other points in the city, they made two daily public appearances wearing cloths from the thighs to the ankles, but otherwise stripped bare. Each wore a cap marked with a red cross in front and behind. Each had in his right hand a scourge with three tails, so just a whip with fucking three little tails. Each tail had a knot and through the middle of it was sometimes sharp nails. 
They marched naked in a file, one behind the other, and whipped themselves with these scourges on their naked and bleeding bodies. Four of them would chant in their native tongue, and another four would chant in response like a litany. Thrice they would all cast themselves upon the ground in this sort of procession, stretching out their hands like the arms of a cross. The singing would go on, and the one who was in the rear of thus prostrate acting first, each of them in turn would step over the others and give one stroke with his scourge to the man lying beneath him. This went on from the first to the last until each of them had observed the ritual to the full tale of those on the ground. Then each put on his customary garments, and always wearing their caps and carrying their whips in their hands, they retired to their lodgings. It is said that every night they performed the same penance. Man! <laughs> Crazy! Singing some songs, whipping the shit out of each other. Uh, plagues killing people left and right. Doctors are making it worse by telling you to drink piss or you know, rubbing shit and wounds, and now you got these maniacs hanging out around the town square just whipping themselves into a bloody mess. Dark days, man. Strange times. Must have felt like the end was near. When anyone, tell, when anyone tells you the world has gone to hell and things are, are worse now than ever, they do not know what the fuck they are talking about. They are not students of history, clearly. Think of the plague. None of us alive now have ever seen anything remotely this horrible. Remember that time when, when, when half of everyone around you, at least half, uh, were, were either recently dead or currently dying? Remember when the stench of rotting flesh permeated the air? You never got away from it. And then a bunch of dudes were burning down the Jewish part of town. And then there was a bunch of other dudes whipping the ever-living shit out of each other while singing fucking whipping each other songs. That sound familiar? No? Then your life's probably a hell of a lot better uh, than the lives of these sad assholes. Uh, before researching the Black Death this week, I, I thought it was the first and only widespread outbreak of bubonic plague. Uh, nope. Europe had experienced it at least once before. A third of the population of Athens died in 430 BCE in the plague of Athens. Uh, this most likely was not bubonic plague, based on reported symptoms, but could have been. The plague of Galen killed up to 5 million people, mostly in the Roman Empire, from 165 to, to 180. Uh, most scholars think this pandemic was smallpox. Uh, the plague of Syrian affected the Roman Empire from 249 to 262 CE. At the height of the outbreak, 5,000 people a day were said to be dying in Rome. Um, this may have, you know, been out the bubonic plague either. Some historians think it was smallpox or measles, others, uh, some other virus. Uh, in the 6th century, based on bone samples from those who died and the description of those who suffered necrosis of the hands being a symptom, we know that Europe did get hit by the bubonic plague. It was the Justinian plague, the first major plague outbreak to hit Europe, uh, as far as, you know, uh, this, this, uh, this bacteria occurred uh, during the reign of Roman Emperor Justinian I, who ruled from 527 to 565 CE. Uh, considered the first pandemic of any kind in recorded history because it swept across three continents. The plague arrived at Constantinople in 542 CE, almost a year after the disease first made its appearance in the outer provinces of the Roman Empire, continued to sweep throughout the Mediterranean world for another 225 years, finally disappearing in 750 CE, only to reappear in the 14th century as the Black Death. Uh, when this plague hit Constantinople, killed 5,000 people a day at its height, killed over 300,000 people there in the first year. So that city had been hit real hard a couple of times. Uh, became more and more difficult for families to bury their dead. Tombs filled up quickly. Trenches were drug, uh, dug. Bodies were given mass burials. Some of the bodies loaded into death boats, taken out to sea, dumped overboard, only to wash back onto shore later. My God. Uh, other bodies were dumped into fortified towers and then filled up. Uh, and then they were closed when the, when the bodies reached the top. Just big, like, like big grain silos, but filled with the rotting bodies of the dead. Uh, things got so bad that citizens began to carry name tags on them wherever they went so their families would know what happened to them if they suddenly died of the plague. 
Uh, the plague hit Justinian's empire, killed off more than just people. It destroyed the economy. Farmers were wiped out, leaving the farmlands to fall into weeds. Bakers died off. Breads became scarce. Sellers at the marketplace either died from the plague or became too scared to go outdoors where they might catch the plague. And so basically trade came to a complete standstill. And now many people not dying of the plague are starving to death because they're not getting food from the people they depended on to feed them. You know, with an epidemic of this nature, there are so many indirect deaths. Uh, Justinian's plague affected nearly half the population of Europe. After the Black Death, plague outbreaks would occur uh, every decade or few decades in this city or that for centuries. Uh, nothing again on a continental scale, but there was a huge outbreak that hit London in 1665. London had an especially hot summer in 1665. The city had become grossly overcrowded. Its population exploded. Many were living in squalor or poverty. Between 450,000 and 600,000 people lived in London. And the plague would kill 100,000 of those people in just 18 months. Excuse me. Uh, the next biggest English city at the time was Norwich with around 30,000 people. So, I mean, the disparity there, 30,000 compared to about 600,000. I mean, obviously, England was not ready to have a city the size of London in the mid-17th century. They didn't know how to manage that many people. Uh, they didn't have a proper urban sanitation department. The only way people um, had to get rid of rubbish then was to throw it out into the streets. This included normal household waste as well. Uh, including their shit and piss. London was fucking filthy when the plague hit. Extremely overcrowded, perfect breeding ground for those rats. Uh, and you know, <laughs> and I was thinking this, you know that when, when people are just flinging piss and shit out of their windows, into the street, I mean, that's what they would do. Uh, you know that some teenage miscreants had to have at least tried to dump it on some people walking by. I, I would have done that. You know, just, Danny, don't go throwing that piss and shite on the business people walking by. Throw it on the street like a good lad. Yes, ma'am. Come on, Mr. Darby. You always walk around this time with your smug grin and your fancy posh knickers. Let's see how you like your knickers today covered in my shit. I pushed out a special one for you today, I did. Ate little extra beans last night. Little extra porridge this morning. Held it as long as I could, Mr. Darby. Drank less water so it'd be thicker. Oh, I'll knock your derby hat right off your head with my brown cannonball this morning. I will, Mr. Darby. Mr. Darby, here you go. Catch Mr. Darby. Good luck getting that swill out of your hair, you bloody wanker. The most crowded neighborhoods uh, were, of course, the poorest. That's where the plague struck first. Ain't that a bitch? You're already poor living in the squalor. Then a lethal disease tears through your city. You're at the greatest risk to die. Once the disease took hold, it spread with frightening, uh, frightening speed. The wealthy left London for the comparative sta uh, safety of the countryside. The poor not allowed to leave London. You know, economically, many had to stay in the slums. And then when the plague really got going, soldiers actually forced them to stay in their neighborhoods. Uh, militiamen were paid by the city's council to guard parish boundaries, not let anyone out. <laughs> Once the plague hit these slums, authorities took drastic measures to ensure that the plague didn't spread. They still didn't understand how the disease was spread, but they did know when one sick person showed up, other sick people followed. So now when one family member had a member uh, infected by the plague, they started being locked in their home for 40 days and nights, the old quarantine uh, if you didn't have enough food in there, couldn't pay for food in there, tough shit. You're, now you're going to starve to death. Oh, uh, man. Uh, Londoners were also paid to kill dogs and cats. It was assumed that they were spreading the disease. The approaching winter halted the spread of the disease as the weather took its toll on rats and fleas. However, uh, though the worst of the uh, plague had passed by the end of 1665, then the Great Fire of London hit. The, the city's second tragedy in two years. The fire devastated the filthy city areas where rats had prospered. The fire consumed over 13,000 houses, over uh, no, uh, 87 churches, St. Paul's Cathedral, most of the buildings of the city authorities. 
It's estimated to have officially destroyed the homes of 70,000 of the city's 80,000 uh, or, you know, homes, uh, or dwe- uh, wait, sorry, that number doesn't seem right compared to other numbers, but it destroyed a overwhelming majority of the city. Officially, only six people died in this fire, but that's because only the deaths of the poor were never recorded, or uh, excuse me, um, only the deaths of the rich were recorded. Uh, more realistically, several thousand people burned. First, the plague kills a couple family members, then a fire burned down your whole neighborhood. Bet you really wanted to throw some shit in somebody after that. Mr. Darby, take this! Uh, they they rebuilt London, and now it was more spacious and open afterwards. And so it would never be hit by a pandemic the same way again. So, you know, for the people who lived, it got a little better. Uh, 1855, a new plague uh, pandemic hit India and China. Over 12 million would die. Uh, the, outbreak there, the outbreak there wasn't finally over until 1960. It took until 1960 for the yearly death toll to fall below 200 a year. Uh, since then, a few people have died every year, including right here in the U.S. Uh, due to the plague. Luckily, occurrences are rare and antibiotics greatly reduce the mortality rate. Uh, if some new plague mutation that doesn't give a shit about antibiotics come through, uh, comes through again or you know, were to come through again, uh, get, out of your, get out of the cities. Don't come to Idaho, though. Uh, defeats the purpose if you make it crowded here, too. Um, did anything good come out of the plague? Uh, yes, actually. There was more work to go around for survivors of the plague. And subsequently, thanks to natural supply and demand economics, peasants who survived the Black Death made a bit more money on the other side, lived in less cramped conditions. Uh, the culture of the English pub can be traced back directly to the Black Death. According to one historian, Professor Robert Toombs from Cambridge University says that wages rose, prices fell following the plague, allowing worker people easier access to beer. Pubs sprang up to accommodate the demand, sparking English pub culture. Brewers could now operate full-time thanks to greedom, greater freedom and prosperity for the working class in the wake of the Black Death. Uh, it also may have prevented the Vikings from settling North America. The history of North America may have looked a lot different if the Black Death never happened. Viking settlers in Greenland all but completely died out due to the plague. Um, so they were never never able to get a foothold on mainland North America and properly settle the place. Norway was enfeebled by the plague as well, so it couldn't get supplies to the settlements in Greenland. Things got so bad that Greenland had to be rediscovered in 1585. Uh, for the Jewish people, did not help at all. Anti-Semitic violence brought on by the plague never completely left Europe after the Black Death. Germans in particular killed Jewish communities in riots uh, following the Black Death, nurturing a culture of anti-Semitism that ultimately led to the Holocaust in the 20th century. A study in 2011 showed that villages where Black Death era pogroms took place were more likely to demonstrate a violent hatred of Jewish people more than 600 years later. So there it is. The Black Death, the plague, doesn't sound fun, doesn't get much much worse than that. For me, again, man, this, this episode is just a reminder of how, how good we have it now comparatively, how lucky we are to live in modern times. Uh, just like none of us asked to be born now, none of those peasants asked to be born then. Man, be glad you have the opportunities now that you do. No matter how rough things are for you, uh, in all likelihood, much rougher if you lived in 14th century Europe, even, if, even when there wasn't a plague outbreak. Uh, so let's take, a, let's take a look. Let's take a look uh, four more times back. Is that a sense? Can you say it? Let's take a look. Let's look back four more times. That's how you speak. That's how you're supposed to speak in English. And then let's look at um, one new thing, uh, a very interesting thing, I think, in today's Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Number one, the Black Death, the worst outbreak of the plague bacteria in recorded history began in the spring of 1346 CE near the Caspian Sea by 1348 ravaging all of Europe. By 1352, it was basically done, and it killed anywhere from 25 to 75 million European meat sacks. 
Number two, the plague comes from the little old Yersinia pestis bacteria. And that bacteria loves fleas and rats and people. And then it attacks your lymph nodes, immune system outposts. It destroys them like a sieging army destroying the walls of a city. It replicates. Your lymph nodes swell as they are attacked. The bacteria continues to replicate and makes it to your lungs and other organs. The presence of so many bacteria in your bloodstream causes your immune system to freak the fuck out, triggering septic shock. Your body's blood vessels begin leaking, decreasing blood volume. This leads to abnormal clotting, multiple organ failure, and you die quickly and painfully from the plague. Number three, speaking of a sieging army, the plague dramatically entered Europe via a trebuchet. Plague-infected corpses catapulted over the city walls of Kaffa like something out of a Monty Python sketch. How's that for an entrance? Fire the Grig! Load the chuck! Aim the chuck! Fire the chuck! Uh, number four, the plague didn't just hit Europe in the 14th century CE. It also devastated Africa and Asia, knocked populations back so deeply, take two centuries for the world to fully recover. Uh, number five, new info, the ring around the rosy nursery rhyme, a song you probably know very well, uh, probably sang it as a kid, I did, comes from the plague, according to many. The classic rhyme, ring around the rosy, may originate from the plague. Full disclosure, the jury is still out on this one. Uh, from what I can tell, it seems like about half of historians and folklorists think that this rhyme has nothing to do with the plague, and they have a ton of other possibilities, too boring and varied to mention here, and frankly, none of them sounded that uh, uh, real to me or likely. The other half do seem to agree that the uh, the rhyme does originate with the plague. The most popular version of the rhyme, at least in modern-day America, you know, goes like this. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. I remember singing that song with my grandma Betty when I was little, playing it in the yard, like three or four little, and then dropping my butt on the, on the, in the, in the ground and just giggling my little ass off. Turns out it's not a real funny ditty. Uh, ring around a rosy may refer to swollen lymph nodes with a red rosy rash around them, one of the symptoms, as you know, of the plague. Pocket full of posies may refer to the posies of herbs, little small bundles of herbs and flowers that were carried around by those still not ill to ward off the smell. Bodies in the homes of the dead were burned to try and rid the streets of the infection, hence the line, ashes, ashes. Uh, or in the British version of the rhyme, the old uh, British version, that line would read, uh, achoo, achoo which could refer to the sneezing and coughing that was one of the final symptoms of the mnemonic form of the disease, you know, the worst version of how it spread. The apocalyptic nature of the plague is felt in the final line. We all fall down, representing people just literally dropping dead from the plague. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Black Death has been sucked. Bubonic plague has been sucked. A few bubonic plagues, we just sucked. Uh, appreciate the times, man. I live in so much more right now. So glad my doctor doesn't wear a scary ass devil bird mask. So glad he doesn't want to rub shit in my wounds or have me drink piss or have me stick a fucking pigeon up to my arm. So I'm glad I'm not watching half or more of everyone I've ever known die in a matter of weeks. Happy to not watch maniacs whip themselves in the town square. Well, actually, wait, I'm going to stop there. The last thing would be some A plus top shelf people watching. Uh, when I really think about it, I would not mind watching maniacs whip themselves and sing songs and step over each other in a town square. That actually would be, I'd just like to grab a coffee, uh, you know, sit on a bench and just kind of enjoy the show. Uh, thank you to the Time Suck team. Thank you to uh, you listeners for listening to another episode. Thanks, Time Suckers and Space Sisters. Thanks also to Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins, High Priestess of the Suck, Harmony Velikamp, Jesse, Guardian of Grammar Dobner, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, Time Suck High Priest Alex Dugan, The Guy's a Bit Elixir, Danger Brain, Axis Apparel, Heather Knowledge Ninja Rylander, thanks for the fine research to get me started today. 
Have you joined the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group yet? Almost 7,000 time suckers and space lizards in the private Cult of the Curious group on Facebook. Almost 1,500 Discord members now. Link to the Discord chat room messaging app right in the app, the Time Suck app. Link to the private Facebook group and to the Discord channel in today's episode description. Uh, next week, we're going to be sucking the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers, a.k.a. the Black Panther Political Party, a political organization founded in 1966 by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. I've always been so curious about this group. Originally named the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, it was formed to challenge police brutality against the African-American community. They would dress in black berets, black leather jackets, looking cool as shit. Uh, the Black Panthers organized armed citizen patrols in, in Oakland and other U.S. cities. At its peak in 1968, the Black Panther Party had roughly 2,000 members. And then the organization began to decline as a result of internal disputes and tensions, deadly shootouts with authorities, FBI counterintelligent uh, uh, intelligence activities aimed at weakening the organization, and that, frankly, the criminal activity of some of its members. Uh, the Black Panthers were founded in the wake of the Malfin, Malcolm X assassination. I got to talk about him and that suck as well. The Black Panthers started out, uh, start, they did start, excuse me, a number of popular social community programs, including free breakfast programs for school children and uh, free health clinics in 13 African-American communities across the U.S. The Black Panthers were involved in numerous violent encounters with police in 1967. Founder Huey Newton uh, allegedly killed Oakland police officer John Frey, convicted of voluntary manslaughter in 68, sentenced to two to 15 years in prison, and then an appellate court later reversed the conviction. Uh, they were definitely also targeted by authorities. Uh, 1968, Chicago police gunned down and killed Black Panther uh, Party members Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, who were asleep in their apartment. About 100 bullets were fired in what police would describe as a fierce gun battle. However, ballist ballistics experts later determined that only one of those bullets came from the Panther's side. Uh, they, although the FBI was not responsible for leading that raid, federal grand jury later indicted the Bureau uh, for playing a significant role in events leading up to the raid. The new Black Panther Party is a black nationalist organization founded in Dallas, Texas. Members of the original Black Panther Party say there's no relation between the new and the original Black Panthers. And the Southern Poverty Law Center have called the new Black Panther Party a hate group. So it's going to be interesting to suck to see how this group has evolved, talk about some of their most notorious or infamous or uh, inspirational members. And again, heard of this group for a long time, know so little about them. Black Panthers next week. Time Sucker updates right now. Updates. Get your time, sucker updates. Starting off with a message that made me laugh so hard. From Samuel Fosnott. Samuel writes, Dear Suck Lord, I just wanted to say fuck you. I was listening to the Cleopatra suck and fell for your insane tale of how Encore came from two camels fucking a girl. The worst part is, is that I'm a truck driver and I left my truck before you said it was all fake. So I went, <laughs> so I went into my pickup building and started telling everyone I saw about where Encore came from. Now I have to go in tomorrow and rectify the situation and hope they don't mock me for it. <laughs> anyway, keep up the good work. Once again, fuck you. Your humble meat sack, Samuel Fosnott. Thank you, Samuel, for sharing that. Thanks for the pronunciation guide to your last name as well. Oh my God, dude. I love that. You just went in there and were just like, guys, listen up. Guys, I got to talk about Encore. Did you know it started from an orgy? Cleopatra's watching these camels fuck this lady. <laughs> Mark Anthony liked it. He's like, more, more of that. Uh, I'm sure when you left, they were like, what the fuck was Sam talking about? There's no way that's what that means. Even funnier if you never see some of them again and some of them do believe you and they just share that with others. Uh, thanks for being a good sport and drive safe, Samuel. 
Uh, Mothman update coming in from Ginger Johnson. Ginger writes, oh my God, Mothman. I have a long story to tell you about my experience with this creature, but I won't go into it now. I just want to inform you that I have a letter from Mothman. Alas, I can't find it. I have about a dozen boxes of books and it's in one of them, but we'll take some time to find it. Seriously, my uncle introduced me to the Mothman Prophecies book, then terrorized me about him when I was 13. The letter is cut out letters from magazines that says Mothman is watching you. It came in the mail with no return address. I will find it eventually, but for now, I just wanted to let you know uh, if there are any time suckers who live in New Hampshire and want to help me come go through my books, they're welcome to help me. Ginger. Uh, your uncle sounds amazing, Ginger. That's dedication to fucking with your niece that he sent you some anonymous Mothman letter. letter. Uh, if you want some help uh, finding that letter, uh, hop into the Cult of the Curious group on Facebook. Ask around. I'm sure there's some other uh, New England time suckers nearby. I come help you out. Uh, plague update already coming in, even though we've just done the episode from Zach Doolin. Uh, Zach has a personal plague story and wrote in when he found out about this episode's uh, topic. He goes, the time I almost got plague in Idaho. During the summer of 2016, I served as a biologic, uh, biology aide for the Idaho Department of Fish and Game in the Treasure Valley of Idaho near Boise. This summer resulted in a massive die-off in the rodent populations in the desert and valley lands south of Boise, Owyhee County. We determined that it was an outbreak of plague in ground squirrels, voles, whistle pigs, huh, etc., we had to quell the general population fear that comes with saying that there is plague near the largest urban center in the state. Every day, we had dozens of calls reporting fields of dead rodents and had people burning us bags with dead rodents or <laughs> burning, had people bringing us bags of dead rodents to our lap. Protocol dictated that the spleens be removed from the dead animals and shipped to the University of Wisconsin to process and determine if the specimen was in fact infected or not. So for a good two months, my days were spent telling people to avoid dead rodents and to keep dogs, cats, and children away, as well as dissecting little varmin to get their spleens. <laughs> oh my God. One afternoon, we were going about our normal business when our team vet was dissecting a vole, a little mouse-like creature. Out of nowhere, all we hear is screaming from the lab and him running out yelling, where's the bug spray? Over and over again. We thought there was a wasp or spider, Roanoke recluse, opening some eyelids, uh, that snuck up on him and scared him. Nope. Turned out the vole he was operating on was covered in fleas. Huh. It looked like its fur was moving. He was so ridden. And, and with the host dead, the fleas were spreading around the lab looking for a new host, i.e. us. So now we have a lab filled with potentially plague-ridden fleas as we all scramble spraying the facility down trying to kill all the little buggers and rubbing alcohol bleach in a single bottle of wasp spray. You could have had the Benny Hill theme song playing and the scene would have been perfect. Uh, it took us two hours to make sure the lab was flea from bugs, but it took us another uh, five hours to stop itching from uh, just thinking about fleas. End note, we burned the vole, had the fleas, uh, they had the fleas to keep us from having to risk exposure, so we have no idea if he was positive or not. That is nuts. Uh, plague almost broke out in Idaho. So sure we have antibiotics, but that doesn't help you if you're almost dead by the time you get to the doctors. And whistle pig, what the hell is a whistle pig? There's a whiskey called whistle pig. I can't find an animal called a whistle, whistle pig. Uh, is it, is it just a pig that whistles out in the woods? Please let it be that. I'm a whistle pig. Make a whistle noise. Then I do a little whistle jig. Little whistle pig jig or a whistle pig. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Hail Nimrod, fellow Idahoan. That Benny Hill music. I don't know if you know this. Uh, I can play that on the air banjo. I just took an A-hole air banjo academy just now. Uh, I actually, you don't even know. It looks like I kept talking. I paused, went out for an air, air banjo lesson. And now I can do the Benny Hill Pertang, pertang, pang, pang, pertang, pang, pang, don't tank, pertang, pertang, tank. 
Nailed it! Fucking nailed it! God, that felt good. Uh, church update coming in from Pastor Mike Moffat. I uh, love it. Uh, he says, hey, Dan, Pastor Mike from Tacoma again, still claiming to be your biggest church-going fan. I've been meaning to tell you that earlier in January, part of your story in bonus episode 10 inspired the heart of my sermon that week. My title was Perplexity, Inquiry, and Clarity, and I spoke about the role of curiosity in the life of faith. I thought you'd get a kick out of knowing that you played a part in the pulpit. Go figure, huh? Hope to see you next time you're in T-Town. Mike. I love it, Mike. I love it. If your God is the one true God, I hope this buys me a little bit of divine forgiveness. But seriously, though, uh, I think it's very cool of you to not be afraid to take theological inspiration from non-theological sources. You sound like a fantastic meat sack pastor. See you in Tacoma, Pastor Mike. And now a heavy final message coming in from wonderful Canadian meat sack, Adam Selter. Uh, Adam wrote, Suck Master. I am writing you this letter because I think a person deserves to know if they've made an impact on the world around them. Timeline after timeline has taught us both that the reality is our world can sometimes be a terrible, scary, unfair place. Without warning, you can quickly find yourself treading in some very deep water. I've learned that in those big moments, it can be the small things that you cling to to keep going. Since sharp turns like this can happen in anyone's life at any time, I think if someone... Uh, I think if some something you've done has made someone else's life a little less dark and a little less scary, you deserve to know. If I don't tell you, you'll never know. So strap on your boots, soldier. We're marching down a quick and dirty time-suck timeline. It doesn't really matter who I am, and it doesn't matter where I live. I'm just a regular guy with a regular life. I've been bumming around for 37 years, and in that time, I've managed to get some education, meet a girl, get married, buy a house, and be a normal human being. There's nothing special about me. What does matter is that I have a son named Jacob. Jacob was born May 28th, 2018 at 8.35 p.m. He's a happy little guy with great big cheeks and fat little hands. He loves balloons, hates it when people sneeze, and doesn't give a shit about the rules. He does whatever he likes, whenever he wants. He's perfect. When Jacob was only five months old, some random doctor that I had never seen before walked up to me and threw a hammer through my simple little life. I have a career, hobbies, goals, friends, all the same things everyone you know has And it all fell away in an instant when I was left with one singular immutable fact. My five-month-old son has cancer. There is no accurate way to describe what happens in your life and in your mind when a thing like that makes its entrance. When your kid is sick, like really sick, everything else stops. Uh, You sit back and watch this horrible thing steamroll your nice little organized life and you can do nothing to stop it. Doctors you've never met walk in and take over everything and all you can do is sit and hope that they really are as skilled in this practice as they say they are. And that they really can't do what they say they can do. What you need them to do. All you want to do is take this horrible thing and rip it out of your child's life. But that is the one thing you can't do. As my independent research has confirmed, no amount of bargaining or panic pleading will change the shit state of affairs. You are now just along for the ride. You exit your life and abandon whatever bullshit priorities you thought you had and spend every day sitting next to your child. Watching them fight an awful thing that scares you both. You can't do it for them, but you can't do it, but you can do it with them. So we do. Me, my wife, and Jacob, we fight like anyone would. There are good days and there are bad days. Some days he's just a happy little boy who likes to roll on the living room floor and drool on things to claim his ownership. And some days the treatment and the drugs take their toll on him and he really struggles. When he has difficulty sleeping, I do what thousands of fathers have done before me. I take Jacob for a drive. 
Quite often in the little quiet town we live in, I'm the only idiot circling the streets, driving in my pajamas, slurping coffee, and doing laps around town. We'll drive for hours with no destination so that Jacob can finally sleep. Because sleeping while driving is prohibited in my area. I do what any rational, curious, info, hungry person would do in my situation. I listen to Time Suck. Jake and I started at episode one and slowly are climbing our way to the top where Time Suckers is what we do together. I have no idea how many times I've listened to Doc Holiday suck. It's flawless. Your Doc Holiday impression is a triumph. Jake gets to sleep, which helps him stay in the fight, and Time Suck pulls me out of my life just long enough to my, for my brain to reset. For just an hour at a time, there is no cancer, there is no hospital, there is no drugs or needles or blood counts or viruses or specialists or any of it. There was just me and my son out for a drive. Man, I can't finish your, I can't finish your message, man. Uh, your show, what you do, has helped me in the hardest time of my life. Every time I listen... Yeah, things get a little easier for a little while for whatever that is worth to you. Thank you very much. Hail Nimrod. Adam Seltzer from somewhere in Canada. Man, Adam, I know I left out a chunk there, but Jesus. Had a good, had a, had a good cry when I first read that message. Whew, so glad we can help in some small way. Man, you sound like, a, you sound like an amazing father. Hope, uh, hope Nimrod wills your son to good health. But you're, but you're wrong about be, uh, being special. Uh, you are special. You chose to send this message. That's pretty special. And if you didn't, I wouldn't be donating $1,600 in honor of you and your son on behalf of the spaces or patrons of the show to the Cancer Research Institute. Love you, man. The Cancer Research Institute is a 501c nonprofit organization dedicated to harnessing the human body's immune system's power to control and potentially cure all types of cancer. They fund the most innovative clinical and laboratory research around the world, support the next generation of the field's leaders, and serve as a trusted source of information on immunotherapy for cancer patients and their caregivers. They've been working on cancer research since 1953. Hundreds of millions of dollars raised. Uh, donating to that. I feel like a dickhead for not um, finishing it. Man, that's not fair to people listening. So the, the part I just skipped uh, may seem like a trivial thing, but when you're in a situation like mine, I sincerely hope you never are. You learn quickly that there are no trivial things. Everything has weight. You learn that if a thing is noticeable to you, there is a reason. The reason I listen to your show is that it recharges my mind so I can help my son. It makes me feel just normal enough just long enough that I can survive in a totally abnormal scenario that I was otherwise unprepared for. The reason I bothered to write you and tell you any of this is that I want you to know you're having an impact in places you've never been and in the lives of people you've never met. You're making my life just a little less dark and a little less scary. That makes all the difference in the world to me. Someone I trust once told me to take every opportunity to tell the important people in my life that they are important and why. Leave nothing unsaid, he told me. So, I have no idea if you'll ever read this, and I have no idea what effect, if any, will ever have on your life, but it will, it will not leave it, I will not leave it unsaid. Your show, What You Do, is helping me in the hardest time of my life. Every time I listen, things seem a little easier for a little while. Yeah, man. Well, you're, you're helping me, man, so I guess I'm taking, your, taking a page from your book and, and didn't want to leave uh, my reply unsaid to you, man. So, f- keep fighting, and uh, that is all for today. Time suckers, I needed that. We all did. Have a great week, everybody. Another secret suck on Thursday for the Space Lizards, Black Panthers on Monday. If you get swollen lymph nodes uh, and you're hanging around a lot of rats and fleas, uh, please uh, go see a doctor. Uh, rubbing shit on those boils will not help. Keep on sucking. <laughs> Ten stuff. Man, wow. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot 
for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons? Finally watch all the episodes of Shameless? A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.